And I, I am uh, a faceless man, apparently. Uh, if, if you can hear me. All right, well, it wouldn't be live TV if uh, there were just you. <laughs> we can't I'll handle your beauty. You. Mm. Yeah, there you go. That's an explanation I can get behind. <laughs> well, it's either that or faces for radio. Which do you prefer? <laughs> Both. Both is good. That's why, that's why we started a podcast, my friend. All right, let me try this one more time. I'm going to leave and rejoin because I don't want to deprive the masses with my beautiful Thank mug. You. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we need, you know, a balance with the perfect haircuts here. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a very lovely panel. I don't know if you guys tuned in to um, the previous panel. The previous one I did. Yeah. Absolutely lovely chat. So um, good to hear what everybody's thinking. You know, the, the, the pure innocent souls who haven't yet been spoiled by... <laughs> <laughs> the majesty that is talking yeah about. i guess it, it hurts less for them maybe some things yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely true i think you know uh, like my sweet summer child and all that that's yeah very on point yeah <laughs> I i'm afraid the second part of the panel might be a little bit more negative on certain issues but you know <laughs> on some issues more than others i think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm assuming we're talking about uh, about mithranium then, right? Is that is that where you're? Yeah, <laughs> I, I've I, I've heard it. That's done. the word. I've That's heard the it word. Done as mithril, being a drug <laughs> to the elves, and uh, my own my own uh, my own uh, yeah analog to it would be you know that it's hi Michael, uh, you know all the elves are suddenly diabetic, and apparently mithril is invincible. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I was actually imagining it a little bit more uh, hardcore than that, you know, a little bit more uh, having to go to their dealer for their latest hit of mithril, because God knows they got to bathe in the light of the valor every so often. By spring! By spring! Yeah, maybe we should get to it when we get to it. Look what happens. I, I can't <laughs> keep it control for one second, and we're talking about drug dealers yeah. and mithril. We're already on the rails. All right, I switched my camera. I'm now... Um, Looks like I'm bathed in the light of the Valar. I have my Instagram filter <laughs> on or something. That's but, awesome. Uh, we will roll with it. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yes. without further ado, Absolutely. let's get into the panel and uh, introduce everyone. We've got Lakitia again. How are you? Hi, uh, really good to be back. And I just want to say I have an important message for everybody. Um, everybody's been celebrating the Hobbit Day this week. I haven't, however, seen many people celebrating the Thinking Fox Day this week, which is the 23rd <laughs> of September. Um, so, you know, as you go to bed tonight, please spare a thought for the Thinking Fox, the most important character in the whole Legendarium. Thank you. Wonderful. Strider is back again. Yeah, hello. I'm very excited to be discussing the new Star Trek timeline versus the old Star Trek timeline, so I cannot wait to delve more into that. <laughs> and uh, we've got uh, Henry joining us uh, for the first time I... since our first stream. How are you doing? Indeed, yeah, fine, fine. Just like it's Happy Hobbit Day, it's Happy Jewish New Year's. So, you know. That's right. That's right. And our special guest today, I'm particularly excited about, is Alan Sisto from the Prancing Pony <laughs> podcast and Rings of Power Wrap Up. Welcome, Alan. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. I'm really looking forward to being here today. It uh, should be a lot of fun. The introduction would not be complete if I did not mention that for over six years and five million downloads, Alan Crazy walked their way through Tolkien's Legendarium from the Silmarillion to the Hobbit. And is this season, the podcast is starting to return of the king. Some say yep. the PPP is the finest Tolkien. <laughs> podcast this side good lord as you can tell i uh, tune in 
You do. I'm, I'm, <laughs> apparently, you tune in quite well. No, it's uh, it's been quite a ride. I mean, Sean and I have had uh, an amazing six plus years. We've loved it. It's been an amazing journey. And with Sean gone, it's uh, it's a little bit of a change now. But you know, w- when you've got people like you know, Corey Olson and, and James Tauber and, and Matt from Nerd of the Rings joining in to, to co-host entire chapters with me. Uh, I, I, I can't complain. It's like an all-star lineup of the Tolkien community. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And the uh, Rings of Power wrap-up episodes that you've been doing for the show have all been excellent so far. I've enjoyed those. Thank you. They've been very, very short. I feel like we could probably go three <laughs> hours each, but uh, it, then my editor would kill me and we would get the episodes out like a week later. So. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think Jordan has it in him to kill anybody, but he is a true. No, player. that's true. He's a very gentle, gentle soul. Good guy. <laughs> well, we've got a full panel today, so let's get right to it. We like to start our panels with just sort of a round table, giving your high level thoughts. And the way we do that is I've asked everybody to pick one word or short phrase that describes their feelings about the episode. Um, so let's go ahead and start with uh, the man, uh, man of the West, Alan Sisto. <laughs> Confusticated and be bothered. Yeah, I mean, I'm supposed to explain why I say that, correct? Or do I just leave it at that? <laughs> you, you, you can, can, you can explain. explain why. We okay. will get into, of course, the, the yeah. beef grill uh, issue. I, I, I wasn't sure if maybe I needed to leave it that way and let the mystery box kind of reveal itself over the next three episodes. No, we, we have enough of that. So <laughs> okay. the moment, please have time for that. explain right. away. Uh, clearly, it is It is a little bit. It's not so much the, the origin story of Mithril itself. I mean, okay. It's interesting. Plus 10 points for giving us an origin story of a, of, a, of a material that Tolkien never bothered to give us an origin story for. But minus 5 million points for making it required <laughs> for the elves' pansy-ass souls to survive through the spring. Yeah, they um, need the sunbathe in it, I think. Right? <laughs> I know. And of course, I'm going to let it go because I'm enjoying the show in so many other ways. But that particular moment uh, did sort of make my eyes roll audibly. Uh, but we'll get some more of that. But that that's... That's where I'm at, confusticated and be bothered for the moment. Let's go to Hen. Uh, I was going to say something like that. I was going to say confused <laughs> because, not, not, yeah. not confusticated, but certainly confused because, you know, I'm in a dilemma with this particular episode because I feel like <laughs> editing-wise and in terms of most of the storylines, it's a better episode than the last one. I think mm-hmm. even much mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Um, the opening is a lot stronger by which I mean it, it's simpler, but it's like more confident. Like it's we don't need a big crashing wave to get people hooked into this. We can just have you know a conversation between two people over tea, and it's Aww. it's it's uh, you know it's there's something nice about it. And then as we were alluding to earlier, there's a travel montage. Finally, it looks very pleasing. It, it, it's and everything like it's also the one episode that had all the storylines in it, and yet the editing worked. It played well, like mostly mm-hmm. played quite well. Like everything had a chance to breathe. Things played out. Like it was all very pleasing. There, there were good scenes too. Scenes between Galadriel and Halbrand. Wonderful. Great choices. Put the camera in their face, the red, the reddish lighting, yeah. the the the, mm-hmm. act, the acting. It's all very good. And then at the thirty-three minute mark, <laughs> Gilgalad pulls. The, the, the moment he said the the, oh, recite to me the song of the roots of Hithaiglir, I knew I was in trouble. Now I didn't roll my eyes like you did, Ellen. What I did was uh, I watched it very early in the morning, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh wow, that's weird. 
And then yeah. as I'm more as I'm thinking about it, plus I always watch these things twice if I'm gonna analyze them. But certainly as I was thinking about it and explaining it to other people, I was like, wait a minute, it's it's a little bit more than just weird. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, that that's a plot and, and it's one that we had no idea about pre prior to this. We had no warning, no nothing about mm -hmm. it at all. Yeah, no clues so or hints. Like, what? Yeah. yeah, like what the hell? <laughs> and so late in the game too to pull something like that. It's mm -hmm. it's yeah, it's yeah, wow. <laughs> Let's go to the Is it my turn? Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay, I'm going to cheat a little bit. My word is going to be partings, uh, which is also the, the, the title of yeah. the episode. Um, and I felt like this was a very, very suitable title for this particular episode because obviously there are many, many departures and partings within the show. Numenorians leave. Um, we have Elrond and Durin leave Linden for for uh, Casa Doom, and also you know uh, it fits the, the show's parting from the lore quite well. So um, so yeah, that was the, thank that you. Was I was waiting when you yeah, say that. Thank you. <laughs> that was the main thing. So I thought maybe maybe that was like a little inside joke. I don't think it was. Uh, it would have been very very cheeky on the showrunner's part if if it had been, uh, but I felt that, yeah, it described what we were getting much more than we anticipated once we learned what the title was. So yeah, that's my word. Yeah, that's fair. Strider, how about you? Well, um, I was going to do like, um, quote, unquote, unquote, sigh, but I'll just say hot <laughs> and cold, maybe. Because as, as uh, good folks already said, uh, like the first half of the episode was Maybe even my favorite 30 minutes. I think it was, I really actually enjoyed, like the first half of the episode, I really, really, really liked. The Harfords were absolutely fantastic for most of the time. Like it was, you know, nine out of 10 for them and for the general first half of the season of the episode. And then we come to the dinner, the longer way to dinner. And um, yeah. uh, so we, we touched on Mithril. Uh, I'll just say so we already covered that and we'll cover it more in depth later but for me I also became kind of disillusioned with um, some of the like like the scope of things specifically regarding Numenor I really wasn't happy with how the sets and the size like the whole scene with the army and so on I wasn't happy with the scale of it and it, it it's becoming a more and more and more uh, one of my beefs with the show so far. So hot and cold, amazing stuff in the first half. Yeah. Second half for few reasons. Ah. <laughs> but I guess we'll get more into that soon. Well, let's I'm get sure into that will. right now because I knew that <laughs> if we went through this in a chronological order, you all would be just dying. It would just circle back to the show at some point. So <laughs> we got to address this topic right at the start. So let, let, me, let me set this up a little bit. Um, you know, in the show, after a tense dinner where Gil Gala and Duran put on a real show with each other, uh, Gil Gala and Elrond have a private. Oh. What was that, Ken? Do they though? Because that's one of my issues with Gil Gala and with Benjamin Walker that he's acting, acting, but he's nah, acting. We'll, we'll, he's acting we'll, we'll the get kind into of that. Ken, yeah, but let I mean, the yeah, man yeah. finish his intro, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. Mike. That is the first of uh, one hundred sentences, so bear with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm on a lot of red wine. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it'll help with this topic. I, I promise. Yeah. Um, but 
Gilgal and Elrond have a private conversation that starts out with, I think it's worth mentioning, with each accusing the other of lying. Uh, because it turns out that Gilgal already knew about the Mithril. Uh, Elrond then recounts the song of the Roots of Hithyglir, which Elrond dismisses as an obscure legend regarded by most to be apocryphal, thus putting into question whether or not it is the truth within the show or merely a myth that they believe because of some gaps in their knowledge about the fate of the Silmarils and the actual origins of Mithril. Um, the, this obscure legend says that there was a great battle on the tops of the Misty Mountains where a Balrog pours his evil into destroying a tree and an elf pours his good into saving the tree. Um, a little clumsy, but visually very stunning. Uh, and as a result of that battle, the tree and the light of the Silmaril, which is apparently trapped in the sea, in the tree, gets sort of seeps into the mountain, infusing it with an ore that Gilgalad says is, quote, a power as pure and light as good and as strong and unyielding as evil. Interesting that Gilgalad would reference qualities of evil as something to be obtained. Yeah, that was, that was, anyway, go ahead, sorry. <clears throat> um, after recounting this legend, I know, it's, it, there's, there's, <laughs> Once, just... once I get this out, I'm going to let you all run with it. Um, <laughs> after recounting the legend, Gilgalad shows Elrond that the ceremonial tree we saw in epi episode one is in fact rotting and says that the light of the Eldar is fading, which Elrond later explains to Durin means that their immortal souls will dwindle into nothing. Caleb Brimbor also later clarifies that he knew about the Mithril and that the elves' only salvation to save themselves from fading is if they get enough Mithril to saturate every elf in the light of the Valar once more. Gilgalad asks Elrond to break his oath to Durin in the hope that Mithril will save the elves. Elrond says he won't break his oath because he believes his soul is bound up in it and he won't let it slip away on mere hope, which Gilgalad then chides him and says, hope is never mere, Elrond, even when it is meager, thus placing the Tolkienian themes of oath-keeping and hope in conflict with each other within these elvish characters. So the Song of Hithyglar is a creation of the show. In the text, we do not know about Mithril's origins. And in fact, we know it had been discovered and used in the First Age. The Unfinished Tales tell us that Mithril was found in Numenor. We know from the Song of Erendil that the ship Vingalot was made from elven glass and Mithril, meaning that it must also be uh, located in Valinor. Further, the Silmarillion tells us that the fate of the two Silmarils, seized by Maglor and Maedros, were they were thrown into the ocean and into a volcanic chasm, not bound up in a tree that became part of the mountain. Meaning that the, either the Song of Hithyglir, if treated in the show as true, is directly contrary to the lore, or it is indeed an apocryphal myth that Gilgalad only believes because at this point in history, they don't yet know the true fate of the Silmarils, and perhaps he's being invited by someone to believe uh -huh. the myth. Yes. With that long preamble, here is my question for the panel. The, the Mithril subplot touches on the fundamental essence of the elves. It is narratively being tied to what we are learning is the elves' primary motivation in the show as well, which is to stop their fading into nothingness. So it is clearly very important. And the facts, as we just described, the facts of the Mithril subplot is inconsistent with, or at least potentially inconsistent with, events in the lore. So setting the inconsistency of the facts, the lore facts aside, is it thematically inconsistent with, to use a, a phrase that, that the professor used, the core of the original? Core of the original. I'm glad so, you went there. Uh, that, that's exactly, I think, the, the thing we need to look at. Because it does forgive broad deviations if, if they're not specific to those thematic cores uh but i, I think if, if 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 you're actually done with your summary and i, I feel like you are but i <laughs> want to ask because <laughs> yes please I have go a tendency okay um 
that's where I'm going to differ and say, okay, it's it's not so much the Mithril legend itself because you know it's it's another one of these some say moments. It's totally fine that it's a myth. Uh, you know, we, we know that that does conflict with the lore, so I'm going to assume that it's a, a falsehood uh, that you know Gilgalad is is buying into this because he's being convinced by somebody else, uh, you know, behind the scenes. But the problem is this notion of the elves fading being dependent upon that. Uh, that that's where I think I struggle the most. Mm -hmm. um, and with the lying. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the one thing that Tolkien really, really lying was never something that the good people did. Gilgalad never was manipulative and lying in order to trick other people to do things like Elrond to go find out about the Mithril. So I think that's where we're dealing with the a core of the original issue. The, the myth, I mean, at least visually, it was spectacular. I loved seeing a Balrog. I loved seeing the, the wings being very shadowy and not actually substantial, uh, my own mm -hmm. little pet peeve. Uh, I, I loved the graphics of it and the way the story was told, and I certainly don't have a problem with it as being one of those some might, some say deals. But I do think thematically the idea of elves' immortality, which you know, look, we know that they are tied to the existence of Arda, and I think that's one of the big things that we're missing uh, when we when we come up against that theme about them needing the light of Mithril or the light of the Silmaril in order to stop that fading. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's really, like, the whole apocryphal thing, I think it's just there to give it flavor, rather mm -hmm. than us really buying into the idea that it's just a legend, because there are several exchanges of looks between Elrond and Gilgalad as he's recounting it, which are like, is like, oh, they say that the light of the last Silmaril is in it, and Gilgalad gives them a look of like, yeah, they sure say that, that don't they? Like, the exchanges of looks are such to communicate to us that this is real, that it's it's not apocryphal, as Elrond says, it's it's the real deal, and so much of the plot hangs on it, and it's described mm -hmm. in such detail, and dramatized as well, that for it to be a lie, if audiences really, really, really hate it, maybe the showrunners can backpedal out of it and say that it was a lie all along, but it doesn't feel right, it feels genuine. That actually is a thing that I think I'm not so sure about backpedaling. I'm wondering if this is actually planned. You know, I, my secret hope is that Gilgalad is tied up someplace in a cave, the real Gilgalad, and that this is actually Sauron dressed as Gilgalad, planting these lies and 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 trying to to start this uh, you know this this conflict between the elves and dwarves. That's about the only way they can save this particular storyline and still be true to who Gilgalad is. But uh, I, I I rather suspect they won't go that far. Yeah, and and that, that's another thing too that this idea like explaining it takes a while like it's three scenes spread across the edit of yeah Gil elrond recounting it to gilgalad gilgalad mm -hmm. showing him the tree elrond talking to Kilbrimbor, and then elrond explaining yeah. the situation to durin so it's, it's yeah it's a big part of the episode so it's not just like this little nugget in the no. middle of the episode that like it's it's a big a big Megillah, you know, like yeah. And I think we saw on the newbie panel that that the newbies were totally confused. Like, it, you know, oh, yeah. yeah, it's confusing. That's that's the other thing for me specifically, which is even if I didn't know a word of talking, I would have thought if if I were watching it, I would have thought it's a confusing, silly as hell. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, uh, yeah, those sorts of things, you know, demystifying as well, because I don't really need to know how Mithril became in, came into being. Like that's not those those kinds of questions cannot the answers can only be disappointing only. Like they can, you know, it's just you can't depict the undepictable, you know. Mm -hmm. I I think I have several 
a bit unrelated thoughts in in this regard um yeah my my first reaction was probably just i don't know i was just really surprised and it felt so unnecessary yes. um there's there's several elements that bothered me here besides the obvious what is even going on uh, the general question that's you know overseeing everything I really, really didn't like uh, them presenting Gilgalad as this sort of lying, manipulating politician, which is also yeah. something that he mentioned in uh, in interviews that Gilgalad was going to be this more, you know, politically savvy um, statesman, something like that. But the way they presented it in interviews was very benevolent. Um, they, I don't know, they, they they said that he really wants to help others be better and do better, etc. Here, yeah. it just seemed, I don't know, very sneaky, very insincere to to Elrond, who seems to be one of his closest uh, colleagues. So I really, really didn't appreciate that. I also mm-hmm. uh, want to address something that you guys said earlier, that perhaps this is Gilgalad, who could be potentially influenced by rumors originating in Sauron and now I know that this is not Sauron directly speaking into his ear not him being directly manipulated but given that you know his his resistance to Sauron's charms were were pretty firm yeah. um him and him and Elrond didn't trust him at all they they you know refused his entry into Linden so him being in any way influenced by him that that much just doesn't sit that well with me yeah um I really found... It have to be indirect, right? Through Celebrimbor. Absolutely, but still, you know, I mean, I feel like he just... It, it, Sauron's vibe wasn't something that he... he that influence wasn't yeah. something he, he felt under, so him being influenced in any way just... I don't know. It feels, feels wrong, wrong to me. You could you can use other wrong. people. I mean, you could you could have Celebrimbor be much more active and active uh, participant in this whole situation and, you know, perhaps Gilgalad being a little bit reluctant, but no, they... They went the other way. And I also found it really, the, the whole situation was super convoluted to me, uh, especially the, the the spring deadline. I mean, oh, yeah. How, we didn't how talk would about they know that? that? The rush. Like I know. The rush. Was it like, I don't know, a, a, a mobile phone calen- calendar notification <laughs> popping up? You have six months, you know? That just seemed really weird. And I'm going to saw... also have to. Oh. Uh, Just a short one, and then I'm done. Uh, I also have to say, and I think probably a lot of people, most people are going to disagree with me on that, but I didn't find the sequence pretty at all. I found it Mm, way too bright, way too saturated. Um, For me, it looked very, very video gamey, and this is not what I associate with mythical. Um, So the whole situation, the whole sequence just made the worst impression me, on me to me visually it looked like oh someone on this team watched deathly hollows part one a while ago and, i like, wish it, it looked, were more it looked, like the looked, deathly hollows yeah that that was awesome legend. it worked well yeah. for that movie yeah. here yeah yeah uh, i <laughs> think quick, that would be a good sorry okay alan if you want to and then I'll, I'll i just i just wanted to comment on one thing real quick and then obviously it's your turn i just wanted to comment real quickly on the idea that you know Gilgalad wasn't seduced but Celebrimbor was and things i think this is a result of the showrunners condensing the elves it goes back to the idea mm-hmm. of the sylvan elves responding you know like when the watchtower gets shut down like the high king has shut us down really you guys are sylvan elves you don't answer yeah. Gilgalad. they've yeah. they've seriously the elves are just elves there's no longer like the linden elves and the oregion elves and the wood elves and and mm-hmm. galadriel and Celeborn. so i just kind of it, it, it's the condensation 
that leads to that, I think. But That's anyway, it may just be Elrond yeah. that is the one who is yeah. taking and in. He's because he's the hero character, right? He's he's got to be yeah, the one who absolutely. doesn't. So I I yeah, like, it. we don't have a we don't have an actual villain in this part of the story, so we need a villainous figure, which yeah. is at the moment Gilgala, basically. Yeah, um, I do. Oh, I, yeah, I do agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a short reply to <laughs> to Alan. Sorry, and then I'll let no, you. Okay. I just want to say that I I understand and I agree with that. But on the other hand, we have very very little in terms of characterization of most of these characters in yeah. the lore, right? You're right. So I I would really mm -hmm. wish for them to you know stuck with well, what I agree. we have. <laughs> it would have so, been nice. <laughs> it would have been really nice. It would have been really welcome, and it would have even helped them in a way. I know for dramatic purposes, they they obviously want the story to go certain directions, so they need certain characters to behave in 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 yeah. any given way. Um, but I I feel like they they could have avoided that, and they could have done it more elegantly. That's all. Mm -hmm. Strider, on to you. <laughs> okay. Well, first I want I want to say that I I'm like fifty fifty on the myth the legend scene. Because I, I think it was a bit too gamey or something, but I didn't mind overall because it was relatively short. I minded the whole thing connected to it, but I think uh, maybe it would be more effective if they did something um, like the beginning of uh, the Lord of the Rings, the cartoon. It has like a really nice intro as well, like the prologue of you know the War the Last Alliance and so on, like just the shadows on a red uh, background or something like that. But anyway, uh, my my biggest problem is uh, actually Alan put it very well because, um, like, we know that obviously elves, uh, the, their souls are like more like their bodies get tired, especially in Middle Earth, and that's why they want to go to Valinor because you know it's like it works in a different way because the Valar are there and so on, yeah. and that's actually the effect that the rings will have. Like when when uh, the Fellowship goes to to Lothorian time goes by differently and the rings yeah. of the elves are used for a specific purpose to uh, preserve what elves have, like to preserve their realms. And that's why they are so special and yeah, and it plays very well. And it's cool that we got some sort of a uh, mithril origin in theory, but to, to put those two <laughs> things together makes absolutely, it, it, it was, I, I wasn't even, Angry, I was disappointed. Like as 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 our friend, uh, as, as our friend Penguin said when we were discussing this after I watched the show, it's like you know, a parent to your kid. I'm not even angry. I'm just disappointed. Why did you do this? Like there was no need to do that because yeah. you can make um, you can make this work. The, the motive for for uh, like obviously, I, apparently they're aiming for a reason why else want to stay in Middle Earth and what's like their whole purpose and whatever. And why don't they just yeah. leave to Valinor, you know? So yeah. I think it much easier would have been to say, you know, we've been here for the last, depending on the timeline, 1.5 thousand years, 2,000 years, whatever they want to say. We've been, we've have built kingdoms. As the Noldor, we feel responsible for all the... I was going to say a word, uh, all the stuff that happened in the first age, it was kind of our fault in some ways. So uh, we want to stay here. I, Gilgala, the High King of Noldor, I think it's our responsibility to stay here to help mend the wounds and so on. So that could end. And we have a problem that this tree is, we, we have a problem that whatever we are, what's happening to the tree and all that. And then, Maybe that's the motivation that leads to the drinks of power, which it will go to, but 
they didn't have to put that whole material need for Elven saturation <laughs> in the middle of the whole problem. <laughs> no, my, my solution and, and the six months, the six months uh, yeah, deadline, yeah. like no. And yeah. I, I, what I was, was going to say is, I saw on Reddit somebody say. <laughs> Around there is gonna be very confused when he starts yes, and only yes. dying in like six and months from now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just uh, yeah, I'm but, just gonna yeah. disappear, you know. Yeah, my 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 way. You disappointed. My way to look at plot points like this is it's funny to me. Like we're all laughing over it here, but I just those kinds of plot points. I just look at them and I, you know, I, I choose to look at it as being funny. That's a much better way to deal with this sort of thing. <laughs> well, since everybody seems to be in agreement here, I feel compelled to play devil's advocate a little bit and present a potentially different dis you know, perspective. Um, I think there is a version of this, a way that they could do it, that ends up being something that I actually could really like. Uh, I might be grasping at straws, but this is the, the devil's advocate section. Okay? Please, we need that. Um, you know, there is that line yeah. where Elrond says the myth is apocryphal, and maybe it is a throwaway for color, but let's give them some credit and say that it's not a wasted line, that it is purposeful. Mm -hmm. I like the idea that in this universe, the elves don't have perfect knowledge about themselves, oh, about sure. the of the Silmarils, right? And I think that is consistent mm -hmm. with the idea, if you look at the Silmarillion as a frame narrative that's you know, written at the conclusion of history, it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody at every point in that history knows everything about everything. Even though elves are certainly very knowledgeable, you know, the Maedros and Maglor destroyed the Silmarils or cast them away, presumably alone, without any witnesses. So the elves, I think it's realistic to create a world in which the elves don't know the fate of the Silmarils and that in that universe, they would create myths to explain the fate of the two lost Silmarils. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can also accept the idea that maybe they don't fully understand the relationship of their bodies to the universe. You know, we understand it. We've read about uh, their Hroa and we, we know all that because the professor told us. But right. that doesn't mean that all the elves have to know with perfect knowledge. So yeah. and we also know that they do have a genuine fear about like they do experience a fading. And mm -hmm. the reason that they create the rings of power is because they wanted to preserve. Yes. The yeah. Fear. Yeah. Um, I think that's the long game here. I think the long I think that's where they're going. The Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. More in long term. But yeah. So if if this is if the myth is indeed apocryphal and not true within the universe, I don't want it to be true because I have the exact same right. reactions to all as all of you did. If it's not true and, in, and indeed apocryphal. And maybe it is something that, you know, Sauron is manipulating. He is manipulating their fears in order get, mm -hmm. to give them a means to master it so he can master them, right? Um, so he is playing off of this myth that he knows exists, maybe feeding them uh, a perverted version of the truth about their natures, right? Mm -hmm. To get them to uh, impose this artificial deadline of six months. Yeah. And to believe that yeah. the Mithril is indeed infused with the light of Valinor so that they can preserve themselves from fading if that's the direction they go with it i think i would actually really enjoy that but it remains to be seen whether they will there are nice yeah. things there. excellent there points nice, absolutely there are nice ideas in this i agree that the idea that there are myths true or false in within mm -hmm. the context of this world is not is always nice mm -hmm. uh the the situation that it puts elrond in in the scenes is very nice like the conflict inside elrond is very nice and i have to admire uh what robert Romero does with it because it has a feeling very much of 
oh wow oh we're really going with this okay i'm gonna try and make these lines like <laughs> you, you watch the scene and you're like wow you you really may try <laughs> to make it sound like something people say like it's very like good for you <laughs> like it's very I... admirable job <laughs> I, i i hear what you're saying mike and i i'm in agreement i think this is their end game um but i wish it wasn't i wish i i i think they're trying to help the audiences explain how come the rings came to be in the first place how come calabrimbor was so you know eager yes. to learn from anatar and to create the rings of power in the first place but i think the 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 other possible explanations would be more interesting i would much prefer because they said in in various interviews that you know calabrimbor is going to be this interesting character with lots of ambition with desire to you know live up to the family name and and everything so i would much rather they learn they leaned more in the psychological aspect of yes. his reasons for creating the rings rather than oh my gosh we're all gonna die unless we find this <laughs> one magical solution you know this deus right. ex machina falling it, it, from it, the sky yes. so it's just uh, a very literal way of doing the elves fading like super literal super, super like literal. yeah, yeah we, forward, we, you know? we can and see again, very late in the game we can it's, see we, we should see elves have deeper characters this is definitely very superficial and you know like galadriel's motivation to go to miller like she was while well, she was listening to fanar's oath i believe she was filled with the desire to go to middle earth and have her own realm and rule her own kingdom maybe not during fanar's oath but at some point that was one of part of her motivation why she wanted yeah. to go to miller or at least why she stayed so, there fanar, yeah yeah and uh obviously they're going a different route with with uh galadriel but still that's she was not the only elf who thought like that and we know there was like you know there's there was a lot of ambition especially among the older oh, obviously yeah. so give them that and play with that not that, i absolutely agree this was the kind of like the, the cheapest most straightforward shortcut to a motivation for elves to want to do something in the season it's like they needed to create a conflict or you know like not a conflict but like I mean kind of a conflict in Linden so that stuff can be happening there you know and they could have gone way different in many different ways it's very disappointing but I think what Mike said those two uh, are counter arguments I mean that's hopefully where they will be going with this so maybe they can you know pull this off kind of at least yeah. but this moment was that there was no reason to put I mean okay I, maybe they could have even done just like without matching the silmaril you know there was like this special tree morgoth wanted it for some reason there was this epic elf i don't know it, it's it's still less problematic than just saying there was a similar like they similar should not have been in it maybe a mayar like like one of the manves followers fought one of the balrogs and then something happened and then that's how mithril was created and then that would be weird but you know okay they gave us an origin story for something that doesn't have an origin story but to put a mid uh, to put a silmaril into the middle of all that was absolutely amazing with the whole lightning thing splitting the uh, 
<laughs> I think part of the issue too is that we get it in parts. Like we get okay the mithril stuff, and then we get okay the tree is fading, and only later do we get oh we're all gonna die by spring if we like it's it's like <laughs> let's let's hear from Alan on this. I know you've got something. Yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say that um, this might have actually played a little better had we seen more of the tension uh, dealing with. Well, I was going to say immortality, but serial longevity, right? We, we have not seen a lot. It, we haven't seen it at all, really, in terms of with men, right? I mean, the, 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 we still don't know what the tension is between Numenorians and elves. We still don't know why Numenorians don't like elves uh, or why they're jealous of the elves. We know from the lore that it's because the Numenorians want the eternal life, the serial longevity that the elves have. They're tired of dying when they're only three or 400 years old. Um, if we got a little bit of that then we might understand why the elves fading is so important and we might understand it in context a little bit better but uh you know at the end of the day this feels like a manufactured crisis and this again is why i think okay sauron's got to be involved here somewhere i'm i'm literally hoping because you know like you said it would not be right to have Gilgalad be suckered into this so i'm hoping that he's that there's a, a potion of polyjuice involved here and that, you know, uh, Gilgalad is really someplace else and that this is just Sauron. I really, I know I'm, I'm holding on to hope that they please. That's because, very likely, very likely. You know? yeah. Especially uh, the way, the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, points for Gryffindor for the reference. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think, you know, because, I, I, look, I know everybody, look, I'm a big Silmarillion fan. I, I love the story of the Silmarils and no, Silmarils don't grow on trees and well, that would be a heck of an orchard if they did. But I don't, <laughs> it's okay. Because like you said, Michael, they don't necessarily know their own, you know, they don't know the history like we do now, right? They're they're living in it. So they don't have the benefit that we do of, of an entire written history explaining what happened to those Silmarils. And it's very possible that that knowledge was either lost or is contained only in Valinor. Um, whatever the case may be. So I've got no problem with the idea of a myth that isn't accurate being, you know, part of the story. That's great. Uh, but the, it's, it's the, the problem is of course, as we've been debating or not debating as we've all been agreeing on for the last, you know, 25 minutes is <laughs> tying the elves fading to that is, is going to be problematic, but obviously yeah. they're going for the ring thing. They're going for the preservation concept, which, which does fit with Tolkien, right? I mean, he very much, especially in the letters really, really comes down on the elves hard for their desire to keep things the way they are uh he talks mm -hmm. about how they're being foolish as though like a reader who's enjoying a book decides he just wants to keep reading the same page over and over again uh he makes that sort of an analogy and, and says that the elves you know are doing the wrong thing by artificially mm -hmm. preserving the present so I, i'm okay with that if that's where it goes but it's really going to boil down to <laughs> Gilgalad, please be somewhere else. <laughs> this be the fake one. That would explain why Benjamin Walker is behaving the way he does as Gilgalad, maybe. Well, let's talk about Gilgalad. I, I did want to talk about him in particular, and we've already sort of touched on it, so it, it could be brief. But, um, you know, this version of Gilgalad is uh, stroking Painful? some people the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. To put it lightly. Now, in preparing yes. for this episode, He's over there. Um, I, uh, you know, did some research. I went to the history of Middle Earth and I found an old version of, um, you know, uh, the poem of uh, the Song of Gilgalad that I think is interesting. It's very prescient. This comes straight from the professor. So um, let me set this up and, and you'll recognize the start, of course. Gilgalad was an elven king. Of him, the harpers sadly sing. The last whose realm was fair and free between the mountains and the sea. He's a hero, so he should be warm and kind, right? Not manipulative, cunning, cold or uptight. But then in the rings of power, he's kind of a jerk. 
So I asked for you, does this version of Gilgalad work? Straight from the professor. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. They had us in the first call. Yeah. So um, anybody pick this up? I mean, uh, <laughs> I think Lakithia probably yeah, I say think, a thing or I two. Think she, yeah. The um, Book of Lost Tales, Part 7. <laughs> oh, well, you know, he, he's not blonde, but then again, the nature... Uh, only came out after they were done shooting or something. No, for me, um, like we like we chatted earlier, there's not much said about him. But I think even even just you know the last whose realm was fair and free, you you don't imagine that the realm was fair and free due to his political machinations and manipulations mm. and everything. Um, I was Gilgalit was the one character I was looking forward to the most. So yeah. I'm a bit heartbroken now, and I. I, I'm, I'm absolutely sure Benjamin Walker is an, a lovely gentleman who did the best he could, but for me, absolutely nothing about this character works. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll start with the sup superficial. I don't like the way he looks. What's with the undercut? Absolutely. Yes, I mentioned his hair. Yo. Um, <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. I had to squeeze allowed, it somehow. Yeah. Of course. Um, but then, then the haughtiness... Yeah. I didn't like it with Thranduil in the Hobbit trilogy. People were saying, oh yeah, but you know, because of because they kind of brought up now Glamir and he was supposed to be a reference. Um, um, so I, I understand why they went with a slightly more haughty direction with him, but why Gilgalit as well? Like, not all yeah. Elven kings that we get to know need to be that way. Not all of them need to be a yeah, little bit manipulative, a, a little bit selfish. We, I was really looking forward to genuinely getting to know somebody who's really dedicated to his people, to bettering their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's, not, that's not the person that we're getting at the moment. The person we're getting is somebody who's, on, on the one hand, he seems to be asking Elrond to trust him, but on the other hand, he's, you know, <laughs> downright manipulating him and lying to him and lying deceiving him. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is such a, I don't know, it, it's a contradiction. It, it doesn't make for a compelling character. I don't particularly like the way he's been acted. Even yes. practically, the, the way he was acting at the dinner with uh, at the dinner with uh, Durin. I mean, he was such a peep. You know, no, that's that's not okay. You don't, was, yes, you don't act this yeah. way. You yeah. have a person from another culture there, and you you behave like a like a teenager this yeah. is a person whose century is millennia old at this point and that's not just not the way i absolutely, imagine an yeah. elven king behaving you're absolutely rant, right rant over and and i love your connection with thranduil on that because if you remember some of the text in the hobbit where we start to get little hints of the different kinds of elves <laughs> there's the talk about these elves are less wise and more dangerous yeah. that's specifically yeah. applied to thranduil because yeah, he's not of the light mm -hmm. he's not a calaquendi gilgalad on the other hand is absolutely calaquendi he is the mm -hmm. ultimate calaquendi and yeah. should be different he should not be manipulative he should so not be lying or... and well yeah that's true <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. Case. Get, yeah the exception that proves the rule uh <laughs> yeah uh, gilgalad definitely should be uh, above board on this and that's again why i keep hoping We'll find him in a cave somewhere. <laughs> I, I didn't think of that point, you know, because I think like I like kingly characters are often like that, you know. You think like Lear and Votan, and you know they're mm -hmm. often like that. But but yeah, the fact that we had it with Thranduil already kind of makes it a you know a one trick pony thing. Mm -hmm. But also uh, beyond that, yeah, the way he's it, we have with not a lot with Gil Gallad. We have 
this scene, and we have a very similar scene actually with Galadriel. In both scenes, Benjamin Walker is acting, acting, like Gilgalad is acting in the scene. And in mm -hmm. both cases, Gilgalad is acting like his act is so transparent that both Galadriel yeah. that scene and Durin here immediately pick up on it. And it's yeah. like, really? You you think he'd have a better game? <laughs> and okay, after thousands of... of years of practice, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah it's self-conscious the acting is. Just a quick one. Speaking of people picking up on stuff, do you think um, Gilgalad picked up on the fact that Durin made up the whole table story? No, no. I think he makes did. him look super stupid. I, I think, think he, he I did. think he let him have it. Have it. Yeah. I, I think, think he, he did. did I think he did. Yeah, I think he saw it. it uh, so uh, to quote him, uh, so how he's uh, acting, acting. I think he was when he responds to. Please forgive us this sacrilege, Master yeah, yeah, Boar. Yeah, yeah. He was acting, acting, acting. Up. There was like another yes, layer yes. to that. So yeah. I think it was intentional. Yeah, I think so. No, I think that's just the way uh, Benjamin Walker acts him. But yeah, okay. Like, he's like that in every Yeah, movie. but it feels like there was like another layer there. Yeah, maybe. So. I don't know. <laughs> but I want to say, uh, I think... Okay, I love Gilgal. I, I was very... As I was so excited to see him, especially because he was cut from the movies, even from the extended scene, like we see a shot, but you know, we all wanted more of them in the whole prologue. Uh, so I was very excited to see him, and um, I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> okay, the old age on. finally caught up with yeah. you. It's okay, we understand. Thinking about Gil Gallad sucked all yeah. the thoughts right out of your head. <laughs> all right, well, let me, I, I think my role is to play devil's advocate just a little bit then. And unfortunately, I'm, you know, Oh boy. Taking a contrary position when I actually agree with you all. But um, I want to point out then this is something that Benjamin Walker has said in every single interview he's done that mm -hmm. there is almost nothing written about Gil Gallad in, yes. in terms of his specific character, the way he interacts, nothing in his voice, no dialogue. Oh. We know that he is a good guy. You know, I, I'm being a little bit reductive, but that's basically all we get. We know he is a yes. hero. He's a hero character and he's a king. Mm -hmm. But how does it look when you zoom in? You know, is he warm? Is he gentle? Is he kind? As Elrond is specifically described to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think a lot of people are reacting to the way he's portrayed because he's not any of those things. He is not warm. Um, he Now, he's actually a liar, which I think we can all agree is just bad no matter how you slice it. Right. right. But, um, you know, how much of our reaction to uh, or, or our opinion of what Gilgalad should be like is just us bringing our own notions of good guy into it and just sort of layering it on to a blank canvas. Um, and if that's the case, should we give a little bit more leeway for their sort of different interpretation? Because I'll say like thinking in this way, it's been fun because it's forced me to challenge my own preconceived notions of who Gilgalad is and sort of realize there isn't much there. And even though I, I don't really like the way they're going with it, maybe it's like an artistically justifiable choice that I should kind of like it try is. and embrace. It is. So I actually, what I wanted to say was actually regarding his character. Uh, so I saw that a comedian talking about uh, people not believing in any conspiracy theories, and he made a great point. You know, like um, the president of your country, do you really think they will always say? Do you re do you really think it's smart for them and for everybody in your country for them to tell you the truth 100% of the time? And he makes um, a parallel with him being a father, and he's like, I lie to my five-year-old kids all the time, you know, oh, yeah. because you have oh, I have to. Like I have yeah. to. So from that point, like from that point of view, um, I don't mind necessarily seeing Gilgad being, you know, he's a king. And I believe 
as a king, you obviously cannot be 100% truthful the whole time because you're going to yeah. mess up something like, so for me, that's not a problem as, as it is, as, as the idea, but the problem is it goes back to the whole concept of what's happening to the elves connected in connection to Mithril and the whole thing. If he was manipulating you know, or, or lying or whatever, as uh, for some actually logical, justifiable, sensible reason, if this whole yes. plot had sense, I would have zero problems with that. But he is kind of bad at it. And the <laughs> thing that he is lying for or because of or whatever, it's, it's it just funny it makes doesn't make sense and all that so yeah. I, I don't have a problem with him being such a such a king because i think kings have to rulers have to be kind of like that mm-hmm. they have to keep things away from certain people but the way it's they go they are going around it about it, thinking, it that's that's the problem i'm thinking more like if you were doing it more the way bernard hill did theoden who do who does lie and is stubborn and you know, has very negative attributes, but you know, it's it's done in such a way that it's kept under control. Here, I mean, to be fair, we've seen very little of him, so the percentage of him being manipulative and kind of uh, larger than life in a way is going to be very big in terms of what we do see of him. So you know, it's kind of or, there's or a lot even, of room for him to improve. Or yeah. even Gandalf. I mean, the way he's portrayed. Yes, the films, yes. You know, he is a little bit tricksy, and I don't know in, yes. in the Hobbit films, he deliberately example. misleads misleads Elrond uh, when the the dwarves have already departed, etc. And it's mm-hmm. done in a in a lovable yes. way. You realize that he's noble, and yes, he's trying to do whatever needs to be done to to you know get to what he believes to be. Yes. The ideal the solution, but uh, with Gil Gallet, they just went full on this, like somebody likes to say, Machiavellian politician uh, who's who's willing to deceive his closest colleagues, which, in my opinion, is a big no-go. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I, that, I'm glad we all could agree that Gil Gallet is not somebody you'd like to invite out to dinner. Um, yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's you, a good parallel. Unless you want his table. There you go. That's actually a good idea. And that was a great joke, by the way. That was super funny. But 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 I will. Yeah, that's David Lean used to say that he would measure characters like by how interesting would this person be to have dinner with. Yeah, that's a good measure. Well, just to be clear, I would love to go and get a beer with that joke. He seems he seems super fun. No, no, with a character. But I'm not so sure. I wouldn't go for a for a cup of wine at the moment. But I mean, yeah. we have to. Uh, I don't know, Mike, if you have a plan or something. But I just have to say, and then you can steer us in the right or in the in, into the plan direction. But before we go from this whole plot, we gotta talk about Durin at some point. Just to be clear. Uh, well, so, if you if you got something on Durin, let's let's do it now. Well, I just want to say that um, Varking was absolutely amazing in this episode. I just want to I just want to say that. But seriously, he was he was absolutely amazing. Uh yeah. the the, the whole thing laugh. with the table was oh peak super fun. Stuff. Yeah. Like it made the whole yeah. Linden part like fifty percent awesome. Like yeah. he, yeah, he yeah, nailed it. Helped. And the whole and he, they keep being one of the strongest points yeah. uh, of the show, the two of them. Yeah. Elrond and, and Durin mm-hmm. like Amazing Absolutely. duo. Absolutely. So I just needed to say that because 
yeah, our, uh, our our man or our dwarf parking is managing this whole streamy thing. Yeah, he'll uh, shut so, us down you know, if we don't bring that up. We would be in trouble if we failed to mention that. And he did deserve it, so yeah. I'm glad yeah, that yeah. Desai is getting her yeah. table, and she yeah. deserved it. Yeah, it was are we gonna move. are we gonna chat about their like the rest of their plot line in Linden later, or can we just handle it now? Let's go ahead and do it now. Yeah, I don't okay, sure. Stop the flow. I I I just want to build up on what what everybody has already said. I think this was the most delightful part of the episode. Uh, their chemistry continues to be spectacular. Uh, Durin's humor continues to be spectacular, and him uh, just insisting on you know whose hands that was just. Amazing! Everything yeah, from acting, yeah. writing—it was so charming. It was—it was just delightful. And I didn't pick up on the the fact that he was misleading the, the elves with the table the first time around. I think nobody uh, until until no, the revelation. I, oh, I you did! Thinking, I did. I remember. Oh, I was okay. writing in my notes because I, I. So I'm watching it at, at night and I'm taking notes because we record the episode for the podcast the very next day. And I remember thinking, mm -hmm. I think he's snookering them. I think he's suckering them <laughs> in on this. And then I got to the end. I watched. It, I was like, Oh yeah! But <laughs> I but it was an know. expert move. No, like he I just didn't. went towards the table from whatever Gilgal was throwing at. He was just like, "By the way, this yeah. table." <laughs> it was a like, masterful change of subject. That table. It was a masterful change of subject. Yeah. He didn't want to keep going down that line where he was getting probed and prodded by Gilgalad. And so he shifted to something that he knew would absolutely make Gilgalad not be able to, to do anything else about it. Like he'd have to address this issue. And it totally changed the subject. It changed the tone and timbre of the conversation. And he yeah. did it brilliantly and i'm like oh yeah. i think this is a game and the power yeah, dynamics as well yeah oh yeah, yeah everything, yeah. everything, everything shifted it really yeah good. it was really, really well done it was very brilliant nice. except i will say that table was way too heavy for six elves to carry can i just say that <laughs> oh, real quick? i mean across area door yeah sure let's go well, just six of us across 100 yards across 100 yards I, I, exactly even if that, if that table is only 12 feet by four feet and i actually think it's bigger than that and mm -hmm. three inches deep uh, and again, I think it's thicker than it that. Looks a lot, or, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, even if it's 12 by 4, 3 inches, depending on the material, it's going to weigh anywhere from 1,800 to 2,200 pounds. So that means yeah, each so elf is carrying about 300 to 350 pounds one-handed. Mm -hmm. I know they're but strong. But what if, what but, if, come on, you know how elves walk on snow? What if yeah. when they're carrying a table, <laughs> they don't look like, like they're straining? You know, like, like a giant leaf or something. I'm going to yeah, be hiring the no door moving servants. I know, there's maybe, no pressure. Maybe they Taking were the jobs and the... all that, you know. Yeah. yeah, but maybe they were just a part of the Gwaiti Mirdain who would have been a bit more, you know, just a Fair little enough. bit stronger. But, uh, but yeah. That's but a lot of strength. You do see them straining. Yeah, he drops it. Yeah. He almost drops it. He drops it. doesn't seem... I think we just got to, you know, we can't look too hard at it. I just keep wanting to remind them, has nobody invented the wheel here in the Second Age? Because you could just put this thing on a car. I mean, they needed a couple of Harfords to help them, you know, transport it to... That advanced One of the funny things is, Durin does have a couple of dwarf guards with him, and they're not carrying the table. In the ceremonial armor and everything, right. Before we go to our next topic, I wanted to... A quick time check uh, for you, Alan. I know that you slotted an hour. I'm coming up on that hour. I can. Okay. Like it doesn't matter. Well, be careful what you say because we we, I say, we say our episodes for the Rings of Power wrap up are aiming for 45 minutes to an hour, and I don't think we've been less than an hour 20 yet. So yeah, yeah. I'm fine. Well, 
you know, be careful. We will shoot well beyond that if allowed. So uh, <laughs> you let us know anytime. I will tell you when I have to go. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so before we get to the next plot line, yeah, uh, I want to do a little segment that I think will be fun, uh, which I'm calling pros or no-nos. Oh, yeah. So it's a work in progress. Um, but, you know, to me, the beauty of Tolkien's Legendarium is found not just in the massive scope of the world building and the depth of the history or the themes that Tolkien explores, but in the actual writing, the prose and sometimes poetry that he uses to convey all of that. Uh, duplicating his uniquely beautiful writing is really an impossible task, but yeah. one that all adaptations must strive to achieve. Um, mm -hmm. The Rings of Power at times gives us dialogue or songs that sound as though they were indeed penned by the professor himself to do a really good job, which I think is the highest praise I could ever give. And yet at other times, some lines are, let's just say, not quite that good. Um, <laughs> and each episode has offered us a bit of both, kind of frustratingly so. We get highs and low yeah. lows. And so I'm calling the segment pros and no-nos because I, I want to hear what your favorite lines were from the episode, the ones that to you come closest to equaling the professor's pros. Um, and then give me your least favorite, the ones that just, you know, had you groaning and left you saying, no, 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 why? Hmm. So uh, let's start with Alan on this one. Of course. I'm so sorry, because I'm probably going to end up saying things that everybody else is going to say, and I, I feel bad if I'm taking anybody's answers. I do want to say, in reference to uh, the show using Tolkien's language as much as possible, what I've noticed, disappointingly a little bit, and, and I'm not criticizing it as a whole, but I've noticed that there are more specific callbacks to Jackson's words yes. than to Tolkien's yes. words. There's a lot of you know, Galadriel talking about the men in the South being scattered and leaderless, but they may unite. I mean, that's totally a callback to Elrond. There have been a number of lines like this where you feel the Jackson reference, whereas in Jackson, you got a lot of Tolkien references where he would give the narrative about the White Tower of Ecthelion to Boromir to speak those words right out of the text to Aragorn. Mm -hmm. uh, you may have given him different characters, right? I mean, we know that that uh, you know Treebeard spoke some of Tom Bombadil's lines in the extended edition, or or uh, Wormtongue uses the the bit that that uh, in the books Gandalf talks to Eomer about his sister. So I do think that the show has a tendency to lean on Jackson too much. But with that said, um, I'm going to say Poppy's song. Uh, I've no rest or comfort, no comfort but song. And and even though yeah. there's a copy of the line about not all those who wander who wander are lost. I love the addition mm -hmm. that not all those who wonder or wander are lost. It felt very Tolkien-esque. The entire thing from top to bottom of the song yeah. really, really rang true to me as being faithful to Tolkien's, you know, feel. Uh, and we're supposed to do both the pro and the no-no in the same yep. time, or do we come yep. back? Go the, for okay. it. Oh gosh. <laughs> give me the meat and give it to me raw. <laughs> That's you know, gotta be my... Yeah. I mean, it's the it's the line that launched a thousand memes, most of which will be absolutely unwholesome. Um, it was, yeah, but it's <laughs> even funny. though it was funny, I know it was yeah. hilarious, and I loved it. But we're talking about is it does it feel like Tolkien? And that did not feel like Tolkien. That actually felt like Jackson, right? That was mm -hmm. give me you know raw and wriggling. Uh, it, yeah. it's it's hilarious. I I rolled. I laughed out loud. Mm -hmm. But if I'm answering the question, does it sound like Tolkien? It doesn't sound like Tolkien at all, at all. Uh, and that would be my my pros and no-nos. Ham, let's go with you next. Okay, I, I, I'm gonna. Okay, for the I'm gonna agree actually with the, the poetry. The bit of poetry that we have is the most Tolkien-esque thing I think of the entire show so far. Actually, it was a very nice poem. I think written by J. Like the lyrics were by J. D. Mm -hmm. um, very very good 
very good stuff, very pleasing. Uh, and we get it again reprised uh, on the end credits. It's very, very nice, very Tolkien-like. Uh, least one, you could go with the Song of Hithaigle, but I'm actually going to exclude that. And Galadriel looks mm. on the on the Numenorean boys, I guess, training, and she says, their blows fall like the stone giants of the North Wars or something like that. Yeah, not not... On the one hand, it's nice because, you know, we do see the stone giants in another installment and you could construe it as a kind of foreshadowing. Okay. But yeah, I, I never like dialogue like that in fantasy where, oh, we like where the dialogue is using the stock and trade of the fantasy world itself. It's just, uh, it's uh, if there's tiny bits of it, sure. But yeah. Sort of Tolkien word like salad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not a fan. All right, uh, Lakitia. Okay. I didn't take the assignment quite as seriously as my predecessors, I'm good, afraid. Good. Um, I got to say that I didn't go for the line that I felt was most Tolkienian, but I went for the line that made me feel the happiest and most, you know, just gave me all the fuzzy feelings. And that was the. F I think the very first line we hear in this episode, which is my my great thumb. I thought that was very, very charming. I, I'm loving Meteor Man, a.k.a. The Stranger, uh, very much. And I'm, I'm finding him, I don't know, just... It, it was just heartwarming and the way that um, Nori then corrects him. So that was, I think, my favorite line from uh, from the whole episode. And I did actually rewatch the episode today. I did manage to do it. And I did pay attention to, to the quotes. And I did write a few of them down. But I, I got to say that apart from, the, apart from Poppy's song, none of them really did stick out to me as particularly uh, just having really gorgeous prose. I mean, it, it's dialogue, so you don't expect them to burst into song and, you know, use yeah. these beautiful metaphors or anything. But, um, but yeah, so in the end, I went for something that I felt was, um, I don't know, it, it, I, I thought it fit very well within the storyline where, you know, it happened. I agree. And as, as far as my least favorite one uh, is concerned, and I swear I'm not being biased here. I really, really, really am not being biased here. And Durin had many fantastic lines. Um, but at, at the dinner table when he said, uh, typically it takes you people weeks just to decide to take a shh. <laughs> <laughs> that was I like I just, that, but I, I see the point. Groaned. I I, yeah. I just... Um, but with this one, yeah, I went for this one. Did not sound Tolkienian. It was very, very in tune with the sort of humor the dwarves had in uh, the yeah. Hobbit trilogy. Uh, yeah. I didn't like it then. I don't like it here. It was. It yeah. felt so out of I, place. Yeah. It, it it portrays this image of the dwarves as just ultimately very, very vulgar and. Um, I don't yeah. know. I, I I don't think it fit well with the character of Durin as we had him presented so far either. Hmm. So I just felt it felt out of place. And I I, I, I like almost every, it's going to sound weird, but I like every element that is transgressive in media. So I would have been okay. fine if he completed the sentence as well. <laughs> but that's me. <laughs> Strider, yeah. how are you? It's just, I just thought it lowers the dignity of Durin. That was the thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, which is what she's saying. Yeah, I get yeah, it. I, yeah, yeah. And makes him a very, very bad diplomat as well, which I think he was, <laughs> yeah. he was presented yeah, as very true. politically yeah. savvy in a way. And then yeah. he just starts yeah. talking about... Nah. Yeah, but I don't know. Um, I'm going to be playing uh, Dwarven Advocate tonight. And I'll Dwarven also say advocate. that I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't mind 
at any of the either of those two lines because I, well I do agree they obviously are not Tolkienian they're definitely more they definitely more have a vibe of um, the Hobbit trilogy I think that we um, it's it's a it's a show we we have to see this everyday down to earth thing like happening yeah. like you know in the lives and all yeah. that and it's just something that happens especially when you're you know with the lads or something so it kind of makes sense and for me both lines were they just made me chuckle and i didn't care about them that much so uh, i'll say the um, the one that i didn't that i don't like actively is the sea is always right it's oh, yeah. it, it feels just like a cliche thing to say mm-hmm. and if Numer is gonna have a catchphrase it should be <laughs> more than that so yeah. it's not like the worst thing anybody ever said in the show yeah. like yeah. definitely not but as a catchphrase, as like the, the motto of uh, of Numenor, that's, oh my God, Warking is, but I have to say, Warking is having so much fun in the chat. He just said, the sea drowned Isidore's mom. Uh, <laughs> and you know, the sea is always right, so that's the implication. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. Drown yeah. Wow, that's dark. Just, that's very yeah, dark. Brutal. The sea is going to drown a lot more than just the sea those No, but anyway, the okay. point is, it's a, it's a bad it's a bad. Uh, it, it's just not worthy of Numenor at all. But uh, I do sense, have to. Sorry. I do. I do have to agree with uh, this. The song, the whole scene with Poppy's song was fifteen out of ten for me. I really enjoyed yeah. the the visual, like what, what we were seeing, what we were hearing so much, and I prefer her voice to the lady who actually sings the song for the end credits. I mean, she does an mm-hmm. amazing job, but Poppy just feels, you know, you feel her from this world. It's more deep when you hear her sing it um and i liked that also they gave numenor like uh i don't think it's a a song but it's like you know like uh like a patriotic song and i think it wasn't you know it wasn't specifically tolkienian like in the sense that in in the same way that uh, poppy song was but i could see it being you know uh, one of like ten thousand patriotic songs people on numenor may have you know or drinking song or like a combination of those or whatever uh, so I think that was pretty cool. But my favorite part was, I was going to say Meteor Man, but let's go with Stranger. Uh, <laughs> I, I, oh, come I on. Think, I mean, Meteor Man is our own thing. So yes, Meteor Man. Boy, yeah. um, he was, he's the, the actor, Daniel Lehman, is yes. absolutely nailing it. He really he is. is amazing. Everything he said so far, which wasn't a lot, but like with those few uh quips that he made they were yeah. amazing and for me if i had to narrow it down to a specific part was okay also the migration situation was, so it was uh fun but uh the i'm peril and then uh, i'm a good guy like that whole thing was it was great yeah amazing absolutely it's amazing and that, that was acting yeah. is top-notch and the lines yeah. i harfoots are like the dark horses so far of the season they've been yeah consistently pretty good yeah. and this was absolutely amazing I, that's why i love this first half of the episode was really 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 yeah. good mm-hmm. yeah awesome I, episode, high praise indeed consistently pretty good <laughs> consistently no, pretty you know good. because hey, i would accept that you have certain problems consistently pretty good would be fine with me yeah like you have the yeah. problem with them li- i mean malva if you're gonna talk about uh, her like just take their wheels and leave them behind like, what i yeah. was amazed uh, what 
like uh, yeah and like she she i think <laughs> a lot of people wouldn't mind that like what the, what and after all that we don't leave any we we will there was like the short video that they did uh, meet uh sadok and he mm-hmm. says we keep everyone with us in our memories or something like that like mm-hmm. what's happening there so that's the problem why they're not consistently perfect that's what's happening with that there's a you joke know, in the that, chat earlier that she is an ancestor of uh, the Sackville Bagginses. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah That's some point. Can I just so, have one just one short comment? on? And I, I didn't realize this before, and probably everybody except me has realized this three episodes ago. Uh, but one thing I do find funny about the, uh, the Numenorian model being the sea is always right is how that refers to their eventual you know, ending. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So in that sense, I do appreciate the irony. I still do mm-hmm. think I that do. The, the general model doesn't make sense. And I think it could have been done in a way that it would make sense and it would, you know, maintain the irony. Um, but yeah, I do appreciate, you know, <laughs> I can imagine a shot of a, a very dedicated, um, I don't know, patriots of Numenor just, you know, drowning in the eventual downfall and being like, yeah, but the sea is always right. So, you know, I, I guess whatever. <laughs> I'll um, take my licks. Sorry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I, so I knew that the walking song was going to be most people's favorite and it is mine as well. I, I love the connection to um, uh, the poem that Bilbo wrote about Strider, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. and the idea that maybe his inclusion of that line is sort of deeply rooted in his uh, Hobbit ancestry, right? That that has sort of worked its way into the Hobbit folklore. I, I love that idea and just the song itself. But since I knew everybody was going to be picking that one, I, I tried to pick something a little different. Um, of course. It's my yeah. second favorite. And it was the line that Pharaohzone said to Kemen. I thought it was pretty good. Oh, mm-hmm. um, ah, okay. Which one? It's folly to kick against the current. You yes. see the tide may rise and drown a man or fall and sweep him out to sea. The trick of mastering the current is to know which way it will turn next, which yeah. is obviously so ironic given mm-hmm. what will happen to Numenor, which mm-hmm. Pharaohzone is directly responsible for driving them to. It's also yep. interesting that both options, where he's talking about mastering the tide, you know, if the tide rises, it drowns you, and if it falls, mm-hmm. it sweeps you out to sea. Both of those are bad options. Yeah. Um, so I, I just kind of enjoyed what was going on in, in that line. Yeah. Um, my least favorite was the one that just really jumped out at me when Galadriel was giving the, the sword fighting lesson. And she says, you know, I, f- I forget exactly what it was, but she says, you know, you stab twist and gut. gut. Yeah. And I was like, uh, gut. It's, you know, it's, it just felt so wrong. It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of in line with the kind of, I don't want to say mean, but you know, that kind of Galadriel, the go for the jugular kind of Galadriel. So it works for her. Yeah. yeah but she, she Galadriel. For- yeah. Yeah, she talks. She talks a lot throughout that little fight. Like she gives them like little advices throughout, and yeah, it's kind of weird. Well, um, all right. So let's. We got a couple more plot lines that I think we'd like to touch on. We got Numenor and the Southlands. Um, any any preferences about which we go to next? You're driving the ship, and the yeah. sea is right. always right. So here and done, the sea is always right. We're going straight with Numenor and Farazon. So um, in a fascinating scene, we see Kemen plead with Farazon to use his influence to stop the expedition. And in Farazon's response, we learn that he wants Numenor to go because sailing to Middle-earth and installing a Southlander king offers opportunities for trade, wealth, and tribute. This tells us for the first time, actually, that Numenor has never been to Middle-earth before. Exactly. 
Neither or at has least not for a long time. Yeah, this is compression yeah. of the timeline right here. Yes. This is taking yeah. the entirety of you know the, the the second part of the second age and and compressing it into a single generation. So we're going to see fair. I mean, you could hear it in the things that he talked about in terms of the benefit, right? The the trade, the forestry, uh, all the of this stuff. So you, you can yeah the ore. He's clearly talking about the exploitation of natural resources, the imperialism, the sort of the deforestation. Uh, yes, exactly. So we're going to see that, and we're all going to see it pressed into a short time span. Uh, so I want to ask the panel to address the thematic consequences of this change, which it, it is a change, as you just uh, very well um, laid out, Alan. Um, we're compressing the entire arc of Numenor's expansion into Middle-earth, where they first yeah. come as saviors and uh, benefit benefactors, and then it, it slowly morphs into them being oppressors of the worst kind. Yeah. And we're going to see that all compressed into one timeline, one lifetime, one that our primary yeah. protagonists, Elendil and Isildur, are going to be witness to, potentially a party to, in some capacity. Ooh. And so Ooh. what does that mean for the arc of our primary protagonists? Um, you know, they are dealing with grief and loss. They have different opinions about how to deal with it. Pharaoh yeah. may also be dealing with grief. I mean, he has a son, but no wife, as far as we can see. So um, and they're disagreeing about how to adhere to the old elven ways. All of that is going to be, you know, brought into stark relief when it's forced to the crucible of Numenor becoming conquerors and, and all mm. of those misdeeds. So how will Numenor's conduct and those internal conflicts Ooh. between those characters, which this show has already set up, ultimately push them towards the ending we know is coming? So it's, it's kind of, I hope, a meaty question. You know, this is a yeah, change, is. but how does it fit into the arc of our characters? Um, anybody, you know, uh, let it sit with you for a second, but Strider, go ahead. I can, yeah. So uh, I think the way... The, the direction they're taking with Numenor can cause so much problems down the road. I'm really hoping they have a really clear-cut quality plan regarding the, the whole thing, because for all the reasons you said, they, uh, we, need, we need to see them falling, but how will they make that work in, uh, in a span of like the next two seasons, maybe? like a season and a half or something where we need to see them go there, be friends and then become the oppressors. And we have, and, and if the seasons continue to have this eight story arc, there's no time for that. So I think this is very, very risky um, uh, thing to do in regards to driving the point of Numenor's fall and all that, because they came to the people of Harad as like their first um, meetings and the first hundreds of years of their uh, mutual coexistence, co co whatever, yeah, coexisting co together, uh, was uh, they were they were what elves were for the Edain. They were the teachers. They were they brought mm -hmm. them technology. They helped them build things. They yeah. learned them. Uh, they taught them so many things. Agriculture and, then, and yeah, yeah. They they improved their way of thinking. Like. What else did for the men? That's what Numenorians did for the people. Harad, for example, and then, as the you know, when the Aradunakor appears, and then when they start hating on else and being envious and all that, and they slowly over generations become imperialists. They become the the, the dictators, the rule, the oppressors, and that's where the hatred of, of Harad comes the, towards Gondor comes from, among other things. Um, so I think. I'm very disappointed with their go I'm hoping, you know, let's see. Maybe they will make this all make sense. Maybe it will all be 
feeling very cool in like three seasons from now. But at the moment, this is a very dangerous direction to take with Numenor. I really didn't expect them to go this way. It's like not even 180. It's like 60 degrees that way. And, you know, let's see what happens. So I'm, I'm yeah, I'm not very happy with this. I'm really unhappy with this. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, Lakitia, how you? are you equally unhappy? Yeah, um, I I think this was something that we considered possible uh, when we heard that the timelines were being compressed. Um, I th I my my I, I agree with everything that Strider has said. My utmost utmost concern is that this is this can easily result in a lot of oversimplifications and very much on the nose solutions and dialogue like we already got in Numenor with the whole, you know, the elves are going to take your job sort of thing. Oh, yes. Um, I think this this will inevitably be the result of the, the direction that they're taking right now. Um, but yeah, I... I don't know. I'm 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 afraid that this is going to be again a very direct, very very unsubtle criticism yeah. of um, of imperialism, which I mean personally, yeah, of course I want to sit and criticize that, but I'm afraid that the way it's being done right now, the way that the uh, timeline timeline is unraveling. Um, it's going to be done very very unsubtly. It's going to be done in a way that a lot of people are going to hate. So yeah, I'm not a fan of it. Yeah, I, I'm not as I'm not as quick to like you know to doom it because it's so far in the future. You know they have enough time conceivably to you know show Numenor's expansion, show it turn from benevolent to malignant. You know you, you can do that. That's conceivable. I think part of the issue is that they've kind of eaten away of it. Like if we got to the point that we are now in episode three they would have had more time by extension to play with that. Whereas it, current, as of yet, you know, they, they can't. So, you know, we'll see. Alan, you've been, been thoughtful. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I'm still trying to think what I think of this. No, the, um, obviously the time compression is an issue, but we've known about that from the get-go. Uh, what they're doing, it seems, is that they're not compressing the Elven timeline. They're, they're shifting it, right? We know when the rings were made. We know that they were made long before Farazan was on the scene, long before Muriel was on the scene. Uh, so they've shifted the Elvish timeline to the end, and they've then compressed the Numenorean timeline at the same time. So how is that going to work uh, with compressing the Numenorean timeline? It can be done. Remember, we're talking about a 50-hour show at the at the end of the day, and we are only, what, five and five hours and 20 five minutes. Five hours, in. 15, I count. Yeah. So, you know, minus, we're minus about, credits, minus everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking about 10, 12% of the way through. Uh, I think they're going to be all right with that. I just, my, my hope is that that's not the only issue that, that we bring up with the Numenorians. I'm still waiting for that conflict with, uh, with the elves and serial longevity. Mm -hmm. And that's really going to be tough to deal with in a compressed timeline. And maybe that's why they've abandoned it, because how do you talk about that tension without introducing multiple generations mm -hmm. of humans while you only have a single generation of elves. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that would have been, you know, one thing they could have done, but obviously they've, they've chosen not to. Um, yeah, with, with as much time as they have, I'm actually not worried about how they'll handle the expansion, the uh, imperialism, the uh, deforestation, uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the move from heroes to, to, uh, to oppressors. 
Uh, yeah, maybe by season three, we'll see them being oppressors. I'm not also very worried about Elendil or Isildur. I think I see them, uh, you know, stepping out somehow, not being a part of that. They're not going to be a party, at least not willingly, mm -hmm. to that sort of treatment, uh, you know, of the peoples of Middle-earth. So I'm not quite as worried about that as I am about some of the other storylines. So I agree. Uh, yeah, I think that's where I'm at at this point. I can see, though, I can see the thing that Lakidia and Strider are saying. I can oh, yeah. see it happening. Oh, yeah, 100%. Only, Absolutely, the writers can watch this But at the same time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the same time, yeah. I, I, I just want to address something um, that Alan just said, um, and also Han. Uh, originally, I thought that, yeah, they can portray... Um, okay, no, let me take a step back. When we when we heard about the time compression, I started being an advocate for the idea that they can still uh, handle showing several, you know, not exactly maybe lifespans of people, um, but certainly they can they can show a certain amount of time passing, right? Mm -hmm. We can see. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. I don't think we're ever going to be losing the the actors that we have for the role, so I think we're going to keep the actors for Theo, Nori, etc. So I, I don't think too much time will pass through the course yeah. of this show, right? But they still can show some time passing. And I thought, you know, maybe like a decade or perhaps two decades, but given how slowly the story is moving now, whereas yeah. we've we've had Galadriel spend three episodes, I think, in Numenor now. And I would say yeah. that, I mean, we don't know for certain, but I would say that in world, a very short amount of time has passed. A little more time has passed with the Harfoots in this last episode when we saw the traveling montage, where yeah. I think we're supposed to think at least several months have passed or something like that. But still, a, it's a very, very short amount of time. So I don't think we'll have enough time to see the effects uh, and the consequences of you know imperialization actually happening. So that's why I'm a little bit worried because it seems like it's going to be a crash course through how, um, you know, how, how the sort governments of... become bad. Yeah. 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 Situations take place. So, yeah. That's oh, what yeah. has me worried the most. Uh, I guess exactly that. We don't have enough time, especially now that we've seen how this, as Lakita just said, how the story is going, like the pace of it, it feels like n n by far not enough time. Uh, that's why I, I've been an advocate. I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that we will get to see uh, bigger time jobs. You're like, starting to convince me, you two. <laughs> because seriously, like, uh, you know, we can see the older Harfoots die of old age or in some other way. We can still uh, keep like 90% of, of this current cast, even if we jump like 50 years in the future, because Hobbit's are supposed to live around at least around 100 years old on average. So we can have all yeah. of these people, except maybe, okay, sorry, except also the people, well, actually, kind of we have the people from Southlands, they can all be alive in 50 years. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, most of the main people. And then we have elves, we have dwarves, we have Numenorians. Yeah, they really, you know, in my have... opinion, they really need to, but we will have to recast him or something. But yeah, I that, that's what I'm hoping for, because sure. I don't think they, that will happen, which is what worries me, because otherwise, I don't feel that in uh, we have now four more seasons of eight episodes. Well, actually, we have like two more seasons of Numenor storyline, more or less. That's 16 episodes. <laughs> in 16 episodes, and then if we take, you know, for each storyline, let's say that's, I don't know, two hours or something per season. Mm. When? That, that's so worrying for me because you, there's so much to... to there's and I don't so like much, it. 
<laughs> There's so much to do with Numenor. There's so much that has to be done with Numenor to mm-hmm. make any sense of lore-related sense. <laughs> For yeah. everything that's happening there, you know, like there's so much to there's so much we need to see. Yeah, there is. One of the things that not we need nearly to see enough time is without time it, jumps. One of the things we do need to see also is the way that Numenorians fear their mortality and the way that they try exactly. and right. against that. And right. we had a great super chat from uh, Bill C. Thank you, Bill C. And uh, I want to mm-hmm. shout out there. He says perhaps the feeble Tar Palantir is what our Farazon fears—a contrast for the mortality impetus. So Tar Palantir is in this show at least. Um, a very glaring example of you know the sadness and decay of uh, death yeah. you know mortal death um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the idea that perhaps that's Farazon will eventually we haven't really seen it yet Farazon doesn't seem to care about mortality that's not the thing that seems to right him. Um, and yet that's the whole key to the downfall of mm-hmm. Numenor if, if we don't get uh, to that what are they what are they going to do down you know drown Numenor because they're a bunch of bad guys oppressing the peoples of Middle Earth They've got to make it about right. Farazon seeking immortality, seeking to wrest it from the from the Valar, and we have not planted even a seed of that yet. Yeah. and that does concern me quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But boy, you people are yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's usually me playing this role, but I'm not <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I get I get your point. I'll be surprised think... if Farazon doesn't smother Palantir. <laughs> uh, oh wow! Oh man, I like, uh, like in Gladiator with uh, when, when yeah. Oh. I love Gladiator, so I'll I know one of my favorite Gladiator. films, and now I can't stop uh, getting that head, that scene out of my head. Our Commodus, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I, I think this is something that we've all speculated might happen. This, this might be the reason why they've introduced uh, Kamen in the first place. You know, to mm-hmm. kickstart. Uh, Farazon's fear of his own mortality. So yeah. I'm kind of expecting Kamen to, you know. How would he do that exactly? Uh, no, no, I get what die, you, you mean? Or yeah. I mean, just I just want to add that in in order for his death to have a very tangible effect on Farazon, I think we need to establish some more, you know. <laughs> We need to see more of their relationship, yeah, because right right now it doesn't seem to be no. particularly it doesn't like him loving. Very much. No, it doesn't yeah. like him very much, uh, but still, I mean, in, even if you don't like your child, you know, if they die, that still, I think, shakes you to the core anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that might be a way to have him really start to fear his own impending death and... Uh, yeah, yeah I agree. My, that's my guess. Yeah, I, I, though for Kemen to save the day in that regard, they've got to get him out of the Hallmark rom-com that he's currently in. Oh, okay. uh, Hallmark yeah, Channel, yeah. meet cute, and 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 I won't even talk about his hair, but just this notion <laughs> that he's—I mean, seriously—I've I have seen Hallmark movie stuff that's Hallmark Channel movies that are better than that in 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 terms mm-hmm. of the rom-com, and that is that makes me want to cry. But if we can get him out of that particular storyline and get a, a better father-son relationship, then maybe maybe we can uh, yeah. can actually. I, I was I was pleasantly yeah. surprised though that he does genuinely seems to like her. It, it isn't yeah, just, yeah. Mm-hmm. It isn't just oh we need to get her on our side. No, it's not at no, all. No, he but, really does uh, seem to. Yeah. So at least there's that going for it. You know? I actually Why? wanted to, yeah. to to comment exactly on that. Uh, to me, again, I will continue criticizing the fact that they have had ep- eight episodes in a season when they're trying to tell this crazy huge story. I will continue. I will continue criticizing that, criticizing that until they switch it to at least ten, because uh, there feels <laughs> co- there constantly feels like we are missing 
bits and pieces, like small yes, intercuttings yes. or something. Yes, and yes. I want to say, Iarian specifically and Kamen, to me, feel like that was the thought that I had today when I was rewatching the show. They feel um, like what happened to Eva Green's character in Kingdom of Heaven. The director's cut of that yeah. movie is yes. three grades better than the original cut. You lose everything regarding her character. That's just like a specific example. And that feels uh, for a lot of, like for Galadriel, for, I mean, I think almost every storyline has that problem. We, need, we needed two episodes of things happening to everyone yeah. to make things make more sense. And we know that some scenes were cut. Like, for example, actually, and I know that was... I mean, it's, it's so yeah, rapid. Yeah. They, they had one dinner and one conversation, yeah. and that's all it took for Kimmon to become a the terrorist, dinner scene, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 we, and we didn't see the dinner. That's the exact point. And we know yeah. they shot it. Yeah, and it's it's it you, like it's you feel it's missing. A character development is missing. Relationships development is missing. Yeah. Like Arian has this really important relationship with her family. I mean, we see very very little mm. of it. Even we don't see her. Uh, I don't know. We don't see them telling her that they're leaving for Middle Earth. We don't see her reacting yeah. to that. We just see her trying to catch Farazon's attention, and we don't even know why. I mean, what is her stance in this regard? Uh, then, of course, I mean, we we do get some sort of explanation, but still, even when when Isildur is leaving, all she gets is a like a glance Teary back. Close up. He's smiling. Mm -hmm. He has no idea that she's upset. <laughs> no, like uh, Emma Horvath mentioned this in the Reddit talk that uh, our. Bro, Varking is hosting every Saturday uh, with uh, different people from the cast. And she said that that was, that was like this amazing, important scene that was cut. And you can feel, you know, where we left off with the two of them in the previous episode. And now she's, they're chasing through the throne room or whatever. And you can feel that stuff was happening. Like, who is she to call Farazan by name? Right, you know, right. like there was no relationship there. She, he doesn't, he barely knew who her father is. Mm -hmm. He has yeah. kind of a family. That's his point of view. Now she's like, not not even Chancellor Farazon. She's like Farazon, Farazon. You know, right. there was something happening there. We don't see that, so we're just jumping through the things. Like this eight episode season will not work for the rest of the and, series. Well, like I'm one hundred percent sure. Yeah, and and so this idea of cut scenes. I I'm hoping that if we ever see additional footage, you know, you, what is her investment? You know, like you said, she's mm -hmm. trying to get the attention of Farazon, but at the end, all we get. It, from her with her family is a little wink and a nod from Isildur. There's no mm -hmm. conflict. There's no contact with her father. No goodbye there. But did you yeah. all notice at the end of the show, the shot on the ship when Elendil's saying it's time to set sail? Did you see the branch of the tree on the ship? Yes, Do you guys know did. what that I is? Did, yes. The green oh, bow of return. So that's yes. that's from uh, the, the tale of uh, Aldarion and Arendis. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's a branch from this tree that's a symbol of good fortune. It's also um, like a token of friendship with with uh, Ose and Uinen. And it's supposed to be brought by a close relative of the captain, usually the wife, obviously. Oh, that would case. have been a great scene. I see. I know it would have taken this. thirty yeah. seconds see that? to yeah. have her bring the green bow of return and to have an embrace between her and her dad or her and her mm -hmm. brother. But they, they like, you got to think they they shot that. Yeah. You know we got more I emotion, think? much yeah. more emotion uh, from, and sorry, it's just a quick one, sorry, no, uh, for Nick, yeah. I think, uh, the, you know, when Gandalf is running for uh, for Faramir, when they're leaving ministry yeah. for that charge on Osgiliath, yeah. we got, like, you, uh, there, there were so many scenes where you feel there was a scene missing that consists, yeah. like, three lines, mm -hmm. like, one, 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 and that's mm -hmm. it, and you get, mm -hmm. and the following scene, 
becomes so much better. That's exactly yeah. like what right. you just said. For example, if she brought I, yeah, this yeah. to the ship, gold. Yeah. You, know, you needed you know one minute I for think, that. What I think for that scene, though, and it's an issue that's very significant, which is, you know, if you just put a little bit of, you know, shrub on the mast of the ship, as they do, as a piece of set decoration, that's one thing. If you turn it into a plot point, and it's a plot point that's taken from unfinished tales, you're going to have a copyright issue on your hands. That is true. That is true. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't, they have, don't the have the right to tell that, to that story. Yeah. So there, there is this constant tap dancing around yeah. rights issues that if you know, you really feel it. Yeah, it's true. And in fact, it's the only thing that I've actually noticed that they really obviously had to get the rights to was the name, the mention of Armenolos, which is not in yeah. The Hobbit mm-hmm. or The Lord of the Rings or the Appendices. So they clearly negotiated that. But there's so much more that they clearly haven't negotiated, and it would have been nice to see the gold, the, the the green bow of return. But just something, give us something to to show us why Arian is invested in this, because you know we know that she is a a, a made up character, and I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, Tolkien didn't always explain, you know, especially with daughters. I mean, that's just he was writing a history, and so it was uh, very male centered in that case. So great, she's there, but give us a reason why she's invested. Give us a reason why she's opposed to Farazan supporting the queen on this. I mean, we all know what it is. She doesn't want her brother or her father to die, but it would be nice to know that she's actually not anti-elf, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that she is still on the side of the faithful like her dad and and, uh, and her brothers. Well, so I wanted to ask that on. question, actually. Do we think that her opposition to the war is purely uh, uh, nope. driven by a desire not to see her, her remaining family leave I her. hope so. I hope um, so, but I don't necessarily I don't buy so. it. Wouldn't it be interesting yeah. to see some inter-family uh, descent? Yes. You know? I think I it's going to happen. Will go with. Yeah. I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's going to happen eventually. Uh, and I wish that we did get to see more of that. I mean, I wish we did get to hear her opinions and to... to I mean, eventually we'll see her develop more, in my opinion, more and more into... Uh, you know, get get a little bit more political. Uh, but I actually, I wish they did given her more depth um, yeah. behind her yeah. opposition at this point. Uh, but I, I, I don't think at this point her opinions are particularly developed, and I just hope it doesn't develop through her relationship with uh, Kemen. Kemen. I, I hope that's not the one thing that pushes her towards Farazan's mm. um, yeah. reaching. I, but I, I think. I think just just a quick one, just to finish. Uh, I do think that her being left on Numenor while everybody else is away and Farazon is there and he's going to be speaking to the masses and she has been shown to be, you know, susceptible to what he has to say and you know she has been she 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 has been listening to his speeches and trying to get his attention. So so I think eventually that's going to cause a big rift. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. there's there there is more to it because a there's a big speech Farazon gives in the square and she's there listening. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't object really. And even before that, one of her earliest scenes, they talk about Galadriel, and she's like, "Why is she in Numenor?" And it's a very, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. not aggressive, but a very kind of. So yeah, she may be like inherently less sympathetic mm-hmm. to elves. But yeah, scenes. there's very yeah. little of it. Very mm-hmm. little. I wish there was more. But oh well. But you gotta feel. Um, I mean, you absolutely have to feel for her. She's literally been left alone. Old Numenor, oh, yeah. oh, totally, totally, her totally. mother died. You know, these two sailed away now. We don't know exactly what's happening with Anarion, but there's clearly totally. some rift there. So yeah. it's so it's not appearing in this season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
that's weird too yeah and i, yeah, I the weird. one thing that i that i like what the hell is going on in the west of numenor like what is there like a secret city like what is that it's the true numenor it, yeah it's just it's not a not numenor. a bad thing just i don't know what it what it is like it's another mystery you know you're yeah, supposed yeah, to oh, so tired of the mystery box so tired same, of the mystery box <laughs> it's so overused this season wow yeah well, well, speaking of mystery that's box that's the setup yeah do, do we all and have then, time for one more uh discussion sure. topic one more plot line all right so we got another mystery box in the southlands with the sword Oh, uh, and there's a lot that's going on that's interesting in the Southlands. Bronwyn attempts to give an inspirational speech to rally the Southlanders to fight Adar, but Waldrick <laughs> says basically one thing, and uh, half the people go with him. Yeah. Uh, Theo does stay behind and bonds with Arendir before finally telling him about the sword. Arendir seems to understand that it was the key used by Morgoth to enslave Bronwyn's ancestors. Not sure how he knows that. Um, yeah. But we as the audience are not any closer to truly understanding what the sword is or does. Um, yeah. And then after losing half their people and being reminded of her ancestors' allegiance to Morgoth, Bronwyn almost gives in entirely she to despair. Yeah. yeah, saying, we are, uh, quote, we are destined for the darkness. It's how we survive. Perhaps it is who we are, who we uh, will always be. But just as she's about to look up, uh, give up, she looks up at the tower and seems to have an idea about how to fight back. Yes. Who thinks they're going to topple the tower as a trap? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I setting aside that we thing. saw it in the uh, well, in the trailer. Yeah. yeah <laughs> true, setting yeah. that aside. I uh, forgot about that, actually. Uh, yeah. yeah, me too. She, uh, okay, I think this hope and despair moment was good, right? I mean, I, I that's I like one it, of the yeah. huge, huge central themes in Tolkien is hope against all odds, uh, dealing with despair. I mean, again, you know, you could talk, you could look at Theoden and Denethor for a great example of, of the two ends of that, mm -hmm. uh, of that debate. Her moment of despair there at the end is palpable, but I, I hope that they talk a little bit about their ability to change their fate. I mean, you know, she talks about, oh, maybe this is just who we are. You know, we, we know, of course, being lore nuts that we are, that the music is as fate to all else, but not to men. Men have the ability to shape their fate, to change their future, to do things outside of the scope of the music. The elves do not. If this were a bunch of elves and they, they'd been under the foot of Morgoth this whole time, one could argue, OK, yeah, I guess that is just who you're meant to be. Too bad. The music sucks for you. Oh, well. But that's not the case for men. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing maybe some little nod to this fate and free will argument. And the fact that men aren't bound by the music, that they can change their mm -hmm. fate. And every time I say change their fate, I keep thinking of um, the movie Brave. And I keep wanting to say it in, in oh. you know, that, that Scottish action. Change their fate. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, then good. Leith McPherson would, would jump into the live stream and tell me that I'm doing it wrong. So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that again. Um, well, there's yeah, something I, I want to throw in um, for the rest of the panel that takes this takes this up and that is I, I think the show seems to be setting up Numenor and the Southlands kind of as mirror images of each other yes, in a way yes because yeah, we in see way. in this episode both groups are split in half like mm -hmm. there's a character mm -hmm. that literally says half the people are you know going to from yeah. Numenor are going to Middle Earth half of the Southlanders go uh, to to bow to Adar um, and both we know are de destined for a tragic end Numenor under yeah. a wave and the Southlands will become Mordor yeah, uh, and Numenor's yeah, downfall is caused by its turning away from its ancestral loyalty to the elves. House of the South, half of the Southlanders are similarly trying to break away from their ancestral loyalty to Morgoth. Yes, so they're kind of bizarro world versions of each other. Um, mm -hmm. and in a show that from the very beginning has set up the duality of light and dark as a central theme, mm -hmm. I, I think they're trying to use 
the the similarities and differences between the Southlands and Numenor to kind of really explore that theme. So I, I kind of wanted yeah, to throw that, that into the mix. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the juxtaposition, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, and uh, just to add to that, Bill C uh, came mm-hmm. through with another super chat, so thank you, we really appreciate that. Uh-huh. And the, uh, the the question is, can the Black Sword unlock the fury of Mount Orodruin? I think, I think so, that's yeah. the big question yeah. right now. I mean, clearly the you know the orcs and Nadar in particular think that um, the sword does have some some huge, <laughs> I don't know, some huge power that's probably gonna remain pretty unexplained as to the specific details of the magic here. Um, but yeah, that would be my guess. It's got something mm-hmm. to do with Absolutely. with Mount Doom. In my Is opinion. it kind of like references Proto- the past? Yeah. Go ahead, Alan. Mm, that's an interesting way to put it. I, I didn't hear either one of you, so if anybody, if both of you can okay. repeat what you said. Mike, Michael asked if it was possibly a proto-ring, which I think is an interesting question. But that's I, before, yes. before we explore that, I wanted to, to talk about you know this reference about the sword being you know a, a key to enslaving their ancestors. Do you remember in episode, it might have been one or two, those two blurred together because they were dropped at the same time. There was that moment in the Elven Watchtower when the commander is talking to Arandir and he talks about, isn't it amazing that, you know, this used to be a barren wilderness. This used to be just an absolute barren wasteland or something like that. Like, I don't know, like maybe the results of a volcanic (laughs) eruption. It, It certainly seems like if it was once destroyed by a volcanic eruption of Aradruin, then why wouldn't that sword be, in fact, a key to triggering that? I think Bill's got a, a, an interesting idea there. Yeah, they do find ways to make the idea. One of the contrivances that I don't like, it will probably rival the Mithril thing, is the idea yeah. that there is an explosion and voila, Mordor. Yeah, exactly. You, you put a hilt of a sword into the microwave for <laughs> two seconds and you get this Mordor. But, yeah, but at the same time, to be totally fair to them, they do have the setup of, well, it was once a barren scrape of rock. There's bad grass. There's a lake that's spewing fumes. They talk about it. In, in they like, also talk about they, the, that being kind of like a backup plan. So there's also, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's another point, which is that it's, you know, Galadriel has this moment of, wait a minute, I must be mm. blind. And Erendir <laughs> has the exact same thing in this episode where he looks yeah. at the hilt. And this is the outpost that he's been living in for 80 years. And he's yeah. like, oh, wait, there's something behind the <laughs> Exactly. Just take the ivy down. We'll see this thing that's been there for 80 years that I've just been yeah, missing this whole it's time. It's funny, you know. Like, uh, no, but I think... No, I, I understood I that meant... he knew it was there. Yeah, yeah. he knew it was there, at some point. Yeah, and then he was like, yeah. oh, It doesn't right. fit the elven yeah. aesthetic, so they let the, uh, the overgrowth, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bit Yeah. What do you guys think that depicts? I mean, the sword is going through a person what what Sacrifice. sort of legend do you think blood is all that binds right blood is all that binds creation no. requires yeah, sacrifice yeah. i think the show's been giving us clues about that the whole time yeah. uh mm-hmm. there, there's definitely you know whether it's going to be theo or waldrick or somebody we uh, see the sword grow with blood and i guess to yes. get the full effect you need a lot of blood so you need basically to sacrifice the full person to it and then that's a great um, callback Alan to uh Killer Rimbor's statement that uh, mm. true creation requires sacrifice, which mm. now that you're saying that, I mean, there is of course a theory out there that uh, Sauron as Anatar is already influencing Killer Rimbor and right. that uh, creation requires sacrifice now feels like it is directly tied to, you know, Adar's approach and what we're seeing in the Southlands. That's a great callback. I Thanks. do this. Yeah. I do dislike the both in the parallel that you mentioned, but also 
if this gizmo, this hilt, <laughs> I love it, is creating <laughs> Mordor, like it's it's a like w- when you get to the ring, it's like oh another magical object that can do great things like you know like mm-hmm. it cheapens yeah. it in a way and it absolutely does. the same thing is true of the downfall of Numenor when you can make change an entire landscape like that in season one then suddenly in season I don't know three or four when there's a big wave it's like oh another cataclysmic event cool right. you know like it's yeah I don't know the whole hill yeah. thing is weird and it also cheapens not only the the ring, but I think it also cheapens, you know, Anduril Narsil. Oh, totally, yeah. Ancestral swords that you know the the whole culture puts a lot of emphasis emphasis on. So yeah, I wish it were something different than a sword. But uh, but another thing that I was wondering is, um, you know, Theo's Theo's blood unlocks it. So do we think that? I think it's anyone's I- blood, but yeah. Oh, is it anyone's blood? I don't I think know. Because also, also had, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. True. Ah, but it okay. could be that, you know, it's like the specific tribe of, you know, maybe it's like yeah, tied okay. to them as okay. like a tribe or something. Yeah. Ah, okay. I of... thought it, it was something within his ancestry or something, perhaps. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I just think it needs a lot of blood to do the full thing, you know, to get okay. the full effect. Well, it's really have any cheat, so you have to. Yeah, it's, it's you have to type in the the right codes to to activate <laughs> cheat mode for uh, terraforming. Does anybody have any predictions about how the arcs of Numenor and and the Salfons will kind of progress together? I mean, I I could see them, you know, aligning their the sort of the the peaks of their of their plot lines and the valleys of their plot lines, making certain things happen at the same time. I'm not exactly sure how that will play out. With of course with Numenor now coming to save the Southlands, there's going to be a very clear link. But I think even beyond that, I wonder if their arcs are really going to parallel each other. Does anybody have any ideas about how that could be accomplished narratively? Ooh, that's a tricky one. Hmm. Honestly, I'm lost. Like you I'm know, still I'm still trying <laughs> to get over the whole everything that's happening with Numenor storyline. So I I'm I I'm struggling not struggling, but you know it's like a pretty big thing to imagine what they're going with in the future with Numenor. So I don't know how to fit this with Southlands, especially because they're like pretty much an original story. Yeah. Uh, and we so also don't know what's... Yeah. yeah. It makes sense that they would make them fit or something. You know, like as you said, it makes sense that their storylines would be going parallel and maybe have some sort of like a parallel ending of sorts, at least thematically. But I don't know. I Actually, <laughs> okay, I got it. I, I figured it out. <laughs> Uh, so Nomenor uh, turns away from Valar and the elves. They sink, but Southlands will do the opposite, and then some of them will maybe migrate in Gondor, and then you know, continue on. I living. actually, yeah, I actually think once Mordor goes, you know, boom, that they which the is Southlanders, soon. yeah, Very within soon. next episode, yeah. Uh, I think the Southlanders that will survive, and they seem to survive the explosion pretty much unscathed. Uh, we'll go to somewhere like for season two at least for somewhere like umbar or something and so we will be able to see those places through the eyes of a bronwyn or a thea yeah or maybe they'll Even split. How... maybe maybe waldrick yeah, and yeah. his crew will end up in you know in, in far harad or in umbar whereas the good ones will end up somehow in what will become gondor or kalinar yeah. or something along those lines it's possible. i was gonna say it's kind of far away for them to go to like harad but then again how they treat their distance yeah, it really, so it's it, it, so it's okay. But I think yeah, that's a that's a pretty good idea if they could like split. Yeah, that would that could work definitely. 
but yeah, I think that eruption's coming pretty soon. I mean, we've all seen that scene in the trailers yeah. of Galadriel, oh, yeah. you know, opening her eyes in the ash, and and that's clearly coming here very soon because we've seen that that happens, you know, right after uh, the, the Numenorians led by Galadriel arrive in the Southlands. Mm-hmm. So whether that's the next episode or the one after, it's it's clearly coming. I think up it's in season. the preview to the next episode, isn't it? Yeah. The, I think have those have those previews always been only the next episode, or have they been from here that's to the rest of the question. season? I think so far they've been they've been next episode and I think it also says in the uh, the title for the the preview. That's, yeah, it's like... yeah, yeah. I, I I know though why you say why you're skeptical about it because it feels like an end of season event thing. It right? kind of does. That's sort of cataclysmic. But, but, deal, but... I, I think I know why it's not, which is yeah. if this season ends with the thing what like the explosion happens while I'm Mordor. It means one mm-hmm. thing. It means that Galadriel has failed like totally miserably, and they're just yeah. not going to end on such a downer for that character. They're going to let yeah. her do something. Yeah. I don't know what, but something. I think so too. Uh, but just um, just a quick interjection. Uh, Bill C um, came through with another uh, super chat. So thank on you fire. So we really, we know, really seriously. appreciate it. And uh, the comment he had was, "The rings are worse. They're a subtle dark art seduction." Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's I mean, I think true. this was in regard with the to with, the sword, with, right? With the sword, yeah. yeah um, which is blunt, yeah, that yeah. is that is absolutely true. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about Bill C, I do want to remind uh, people real quick, um, just a quick interjection. You know, we're coming up on the end of the stream pretty soon here, so if you uh, want to get a chance at uh, getting some of Kip's art, get your super mm-hmm. chats in right now. Bill C is running the table, so it looks like yeah. he's coming <laughs> he's for get a second a week art. win. Yeah he, yeah, he won last week and he might win again this week. Um, but if anybody wants to get the chance in there, um, get your super chats in because we got a few more minutes. Um, go ahead, Strider. Yeah, well, I wanted to just throw in a few things that I've kind of I've just I've been thinking about. So maybe we can quickly comment on that. I just want to hear somebody's opinion on this. Um, so it's kind of all over the place. So uh, first of all, I think that the growth that the Harvards are going to, I think. We're gonna uh, end up seeing antwives. Oh, there. that would be wonderful. I think that, yeah. uh, that's one. The okay. second is that uh, if Halbrand ends up being Sauron, I will continue praying that, that that's not gonna happen. But it's 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 getting there. Uh, if he ends up being Sauron, uh, I think that Adar might have pushed Sauron away in some sorts. Because and the theory is that he, because of his relationship towards the orcs, ah, yeah. just had their support and kind of squeezed this guy out because he was like a, you know, a not 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 a nice guy as Adar is. I mean, he's a villain, but he's a he's definitely having more dimensions to him. And yeah. the third thing is, um, what do you think is the purpose of the tunnels that the orcs are digging? Because they said they're done, and my thought was. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's it's kind of very simplistic, but uh, that maybe it will be to spread the the lava from the volcano oh. for some reason. But I I don't know why that why that they would want to do that. But I'm seeing it as that. So, and fives in the grove, um, Adar pushing out Sauron and uh, tunnels to spread lava. On the last <laughs> one, the tunnels. Something. The tunnels they've suggested that it was for the purpose of trying to search for the sword, yeah. but it's not a you know so ah. they can move around. In darkness, right? Um, but why would the tunnels then be done yeah. several scenes after they've identified where the sword is? The, the two seem mm. not to be linked in that respect. So that is that is a good question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit difficult to make a tunnel all the way up to the the top of the waterfall and 
yeah. just right underneath the tower. So unless they're that's what they're going for. Yeah. I hope it's I hope it's gonna be resolved at any rate. Um I hope it's not just a sort of a I don't know, dramatic uh, dramatic tool to push the story forward and to, you know, get the, the army going. I don't know. Yeah. I, I yeah, that's a good I didn't catch that actually at all, the tunnel thing, mm. but okay. Yeah. The N wives I'm not sure. Uh, I I've seen someone do a very nice sketch of the montage and where they're heading. I think they're heading mm -hmm. east, like more east than the land of the end wives and maybe yeah, like but the, it's, the it's still in that general area and they were they were yeah. oh actually one more reason why it could fit. Uh they were destroyed uh like by Sauron in a way or like direct or indirectly whatever. But they were yeah. destroyed through actions of Sauron uh mm -hmm. in the second day actually not in the yeah, second age but yeah, it fits because age. of the general area plus maybe that's uh what happens when the mountain explodes that but that's the uh, brownlands perhaps. are a little bit far away i think for they are yeah, but again the distance yeah. the yeah. magic volcano the whole thing can you it could can fit. you guys remind me did we the the shot of the end wives or ants at any rate that we've seen mm -hmm. in the trailer have we seen that in episode one when the meteor in came? Episode, have we yes. already seen yeah. them? Oh, okay mm -hmm. okay yeah i think that's meteor like, flyover for, yeah. for now okay. that would be the, what we will get of the ends but you know who's just... on this uh, point we got a super chat from jared yeah. went um yeah he says uh tunnels carry the lava so there, there's a vote in favor of that potential Oh, I don't know. There's a question mark at the end of that. That's I'm true. Not... <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a demand to explain. Strider, explain. Tunnels carry the lava? Well, so it's like this very specific uh, scientific thing, actually. You know, like the old Egyptians found out that when you go to China, you dig. I don't know. Like, I'm just <laughs> trying to make sense somewhere. of it. I know. I'm just trying to make sense of it because, you know, as you said, like they, they know where the sword is. Yeah. And then we finished the tunnel. Or the tunnels and then you know it, it has to be a part of this major plan so i don't know why we know that kind of the end game is the maybe Simul but they're like in a tower on a hill that's the confusing part yeah, yeah. but it will make sense i'm thinking of simultaneous simultaneous attacks on some you know other human locations maybe i don't know it's the only thing i can think yeah, of that's, but yeah i agree um, it, it seems like more of a tactical thing to be able to strike you know and, and travel during the day uh, mm -hmm. clearly that's that's something we're being set up to be reminded of that these orcs are very very um, uh, you know allergic to uh, vitamin D or, uh, <laughs> or vitamin K whatever it is that we get in sunlight right um, vitamin D minor D. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, yeah um, and but but I think it, it goes hand in hand with the thing that Adar was saying to the orc the unfortunate orc whose arm was getting that sunburn when he said, you know, I wish you could see the sun like I do. Uh, it's going to be going away soon. And I'm going to, you know, the, the, the part of me that misses its warmth uh, will go too. Okay. That again, volcanic eruption, clouding the sun, preventing us from seeing the sun. Uh, that's going to be related. So maybe um, some way to, for them to travel to places that will be safe from the volcanic eruption. Possibly. Oh, so, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, Devin Patel actually also proposed the same thing in the chat. So, yeah. yeah. And, and Strider, to answer oh, your yeah, yeah. question about that. Adar and Sauron and the relationship there, I think Adar mm. wants the benefit of the orcs, twisted as it is, whereas yeah. Sauron wants to use the orcs yeah. as, you know, a mindless force. So, I think they, are, they may be, uh, you know, antagonistic to each other in that way. We'll see. Well, if, if we saw the reaction. We, we, need, we, we, yeah, we need to know more about Adar, I guess, before. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he didn't 
confirm or deny. You know, I mean, he he basically yeah, threw Walter angry. down. I can neither confirm nor deny that I am Sauron, and he throws him <laughs> to the ground. And you know, yeah, either that or no angry. spoilers. I'm not sure what she said, but uh, you know, in, in either case, it's clear that we're still supposed to think that he might be, and we're still supposed yeah. to think Halbrand might be, and we're still supposed to think Meteor Man might be, and clearly, I think we're supposed to think that Gilgalad might be, uh, and Malva, so, Malva, and Malva, oh, and Malva. Malva. If I had oh, to hey, it, Cowron, right? Was that Cowron, Cowron. Cowron. Yeah. Can I throw in something really cow, interesting? Yeah. Has yeah, anybody please. noticed that you've got the three cultists looking yeah. at the footprints of the Harfoots, and then later we see three wolves, wolves. and their footprints? Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. the number is significant. Werewolves, you know? Shapeshifters. They, oh Sauron could fit. Sauron we see the moon. Did... Yeah. But Sauron they don't look like the sense, wolf. But... They don't look yeah. like the wolf that we saw in episode one when they were in right. that old yeah. farm. They yeah. look different. So, yeah. I don't know. So, it could be. I mean, like werewolves and Sauron, that there is a, you know, connection there. So, yeah. that, that's an interesting one. I'm not sure how I would feel about it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not saying think... I like the idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, who knows? But, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, for sure, they want us to think that there's something sinister, I think, from the way they're yeah. shot, the way they're presented. Right. Oh, I very... there's yeah, the music. So, Everything uh, was sinister. Yeah, right. That yeah, was, it wasn't. Wouldn't nice, that be a fun but... twist if they actually turned out to be good guys, just yeah. looking for Harford so they can just hang out? Healers. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> the three wise men, basically, they come from. Right. Place. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're looking for someone who is looking for a star, but you know. Uh, and, just... and they do have the symbol of the constellation on on yes. one of the items. Yeah. So yeah, it, the back it, of the shield. They're definitely looking same. for. But actually, Close, we yeah. can. Yeah. I think you proposed this, like the, some yesterday or something. That you know, the three wise men, uh, they are coming there by following the stars to find oh. a person, and then there's like this king that's being mentioned around. I'm Jewish. You're kind of like, wow. kind, kind of like. A, I'm not saying it is, but you know, they could be going for like if the symbolism of the that. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. I am done. I think one of the show. I think one of the showrunners is a dev is quite devout, right? They're both. Uh, sure. They're both devout Mormons, from my understanding. Yes. Ah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe I don't know. Uh, but yeah, the, but you they, know, they, it's, it's if they break of... out the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they won't tell you what those items are because they have a rights issue. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> definitely would have a rights issue. Yeah, there. it's one of those things nice. where it's, you know, plus oh, change, you know, like. Yeah. Well, I think we're coming up on the end of our discussion here. I'm glad we were able to touch on the mystics. I was worried we'd leave them behind. We didn't really get a chance to talk too much about the stranger, uh, although we did touch on it on the beginning. Still, my, you know, the Harfoot's still surprisingly my favorite storyline. Yeah, um, but we covered a lot of ground and I, I think had a great discussion and I want to thank everybody in particular you Alan for joining us and for staying My basically pleasure. twice as long as you had originally <laughs> planned so really I enjoyed it you kidding me yeah it was a lot of fun well, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you you're prolific you're putting out a lot of stuff right now and uh, <laughs> well, let, let them know uh, yeah, the Prancing Pony podcast, of course, is our walkthrough of Tolkien's Legendarium. So if you're interested in uh, going through the books with us, we're currently just starting The Return of the King, but we've got six seasons in the past with The Silmarillion, The Hobbit, and each of the first four books of The Lord of the Rings. Uh, and so we've still got several years to go there. And then, of course, we've recently started the Rings of Power wrap-up. You can listen to our reaction episodes, which come out within 24 hours of the Amazon drop, which is a challenge. <laughs> it means we can't go two-plus hours, right? We have to do it in, in a shorter period of time. But we also did some, uh, before Sean left, we were also able to do some foundational episodes on the races, uh, and those are those are worth listening to as well. So uh, you can find us at Rings Wrap-up for that one and at Prancing Pony Pod for the main show. 
and Katie's uh, Katie, who is oh, she's posted the links, and she's moderating this um, stream as well, which we're very grateful for. She's posting the links there in the chat, so you can find. Yeah, she is our uh, event coordinator and Patreon community coordinator as well. So it's good to see her mm-hmm. uh, helping out everybody else as well. Yeah, she's very generous with her time, and we appreciate that uh, tremendously. Um, Strider, I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about Fellowship of Fans leaks that have been confirmed so far. Mm. Got a running list. Yeah, uh, so this time it's not such a comprehensive list as it was the, in the previous episode. Uh, so yeah, for people who may have tuned in recently to our channel, uh, we've been doing a lot of uh, pre-hype of the show <laughs> while Amazon was being silent. There was a lot of uh, stuff that we discovered and shared with uh, everyone. So in this episode, uh, some new things that um, have turned out to be true of our leagues, and we so far have a pretty good uh, record. Um, Meteor Man might be evil. So there were a few definitely shots there where you know it wasn't really clear what's happening there. Uh, Meteor Man will use his powers to protect the Harputs. Uh, scene of Yarian seeing Isildur go to war and not wanting Isildur to, to, to join the army. Mm-hmm. The Numenorians are excited and happy to go off to war as they are inexperienced and don't know the dangers of the war. Uh, so it kind of yeah. feels like the you know USA going to World War One, like the whole world mm. being yeah, shocked what happens Europe, there. Yeah. yeah. And the last one, uh, Galadriel, Elendil, Miriel, Isildur will all be on the same ship sailing to Middle Earth. So that's that's the leaks that have been more or less confirmed in this episode so far. So pretty so far we are doing pretty well with all the all the things. Still batting almost a thousand, right? Pretty much. <laughs> that's good. We appreciate all the good work you do there. I do fully expect to see some more leaks coming into season two. I, I imagine you're not gonna have quite as many because now we've got a whole season, you know, it's uh not much has been kept secret. We're, now we we're not going to need but... as many. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> also true. Exactly. But I will still. Be yeah, but there was this recently. pretty long silent period of Amazon. I, this was definitely even before I joined Fellowship. It was interesting to hear these new things because you know we know we knew nothing, next to nothing yes. about the show except like the very broadest of uh, descriptions. So I think this this was pretty fun for you know at least for the lore fans and the people who were like really interested in the show in the past few years. That's I think it was pretty cool. Yeah, so Strider, Lakitia, and thanks to all to all of you for joining the panel. Um, what's the next thing that Fellowship does? You're putting out a lot of videos, and you have other panels as well. So tell people what, what's the next sort of a stream that they can look for from Fellowship. We have our weekly Wednesday prediction streams, where uh, a lovely group of people get gather together to um, to chat about the episode that they've seen and what they're expecting to see in the next episode. So look forward to that. Uh, Fellowship also does the weekly breakdown videos, where he uh, or I think it's more like Easter of, eggs uh, and. Easter eggs, yeah. I think that one's normally released on Fridays. So, yeah, and expect lots of surprises between now and then as well. So, and yeah. our friend Varking, who has been oh. doing the whole technical paha. Here he is. Okay, he can tell you the whole thing. <laughs> I just wanted to say I, I enjoyed the entire panel today, especially the newbie panel. I always get a kick out of that one. And I, I love seeing Alan and hearing Alan Prancing Pony Podcast, Rings of Power wrap up. I do really Thank enjoy you. your stuff and a lot of the time that we got to Absolute spend together pleasure. at Thank different events for Tolkien. Uh, yeah, it's been great. It's an honor to have you on. And then as for me, 
Um, I'm just, uh, I'm not getting sleep. We're, we're trying to help out. Oh, I am. Thursday nights, there's no sleep on Thursday nights. That's for uh, sure. But that's right. Thursday nights, staying up late until midnight to watch the show two times to uh, mm-hmm. turn in a couple notes and then get ready to start coming up with interview questions for whoever our guest will be on the Saturday Reddit talks. But uh, yeah. I also just want to say, Mike, you do a tremendous job up here leading throughout yes. the panel, keeping everybody yeah. on track. Really our captain. That. Yes. And, and shout out to Kyle. <laughs> this is a lot harder uh, than people yeah. think. And I can't wait for him to be back on the next one. As long as he has not been swept away by Hurricane Fiona, he will be back next week. He confirmed a little bit ago he has power again. Yes. Good. Yeah. Good. Ah. Okay. Is it is it a power as pure and light as as good? <laughs> and as, right. and right. as strong and yeah. Yeah. All right. Last thing. Full circle. <laughs> In the show. Other than that, again, thank you all. Thanks, Varking. Thanks, uh, Katie, for moderating the chat. And thank you, everybody out there, for watching. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next time, next Sunday. Same bat time, same bat channel to talk about episode six. All right. Bye-bye.